Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. It is Friday, May 3rd, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's another Ramana Rundown with Sun-Times editor Ramana Hussein. We welcome 33rd Ward Alderwoman Rosanna Rodriguez-Sanchez and political strategist Lori Glenn. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Benny J. Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this It's a Free Country Friday. And here's why. Woke up today to see that Facebook had banned, oh my God, Alex Jones, Louis Farrakhan, uh, Milo Yiannopoulos, and other right-wingers from their network saw it on the front page of my beloved bright one got mixed feelings about this bandy uh yeah he's one of my infamous flag waving in the breeze moments here on the one hand i have these libertarian instincts i don't like people telling me what to say what to do how to think i don't like bullies i don't like having to fall in line be politically correct etc etc and so forth So who are you, Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook, to ban anyone from your network? On the other hand, it is Mark Zuckerberg's network. I mean, he owns Facebook, or at least he created it. He owns it with his shareholders. It's not a public space. It's not like Daily Plaza. And let's face it, folks, we do have a problem in our country, in our world. We got lunatics running into synagogues and mosques and churches and schools and discotheques and with their guns blazing and they're just mowing down people because they don't like who they are and in many cases these lunatics are fired up by purveyors of hate so i don't know don't you think there should be some accountability somewhere right i realize that if facebook bans purveyors of hates They don't just vanish. They don't just disappear. They have other platforms to vent their thoughts. I realize that. I realize you don't completely correct the problem by having a ban on Facebook. But they won't be appearing on Facebook. And again, Facebook is not the Daily Plaza. It's not a public place. It's private property. If they want to set their own standards, that's their right. After all, it's a free country. We got a great show today, everybody. Ramana Hussein will be here for the Ramana Rundown, editor for the Chicago Sun-Times. We'll be talking about the Facebook ban with Ramana, no doubt. There'll be Jesse Smollett updates. Good God, that story's not going anywhere at all. And get Ramana's thoughts about Rom's farewell tour, where he's where he's wandering around the city 
sort of feeling sorry for himself. Anyway, Ramon Hussein loved talking about all things in the world with Ramon Hussein. Alderwoman uh, Rosanna Rodriguez-Sanchez will be here at 2 o'clock. She's the newly elected Alderwoman of the 33rd Ward. Beat uh, Deb Bell by 13 votes. Wow. That was a close election. Deb Bell, of course, is the daughter of the legendary Alderman Richard Mel. So the Mel's have left the building, folks. Or at least they've left the 33rd Ward. Alderwoman Rosanna Rodriguez-Sanchez will be here. And then we'll close down the show with Lori Glenn, political strategist. She was one of the activists behind the scene leading the charge against Lincoln Yards. They lost that deal. But uh, there's some lessons to be learned. I think we saw some of those lessons to be learned just yesterday with the announcement about One Central. We talked about that development deal. No TIF money. <laughs> They've learned that lesson. All right, we have to go to another public pot to pay for our project. That TIF thing is it's just not working anymore. God damn that Ben Jarofsky. Anyway. Hey, look for <laughs> foul mouth over here today. <laughs> Is that like one of the words? Beep! Oh, in the old days, would you have pushed the button for <laughs> yeah, that one? Yeah, oh, yeah. beep! Yo, the doctor, man, he was so quick with that But Beep! Anyway, uh, Lori Glenn will be here. She, Lori Glenn knows a thing or two about politics. Get her thoughts on Mayor Rahm leaving as well. Get her thoughts on Facebook. All the And Biden and the Democrats. What are they going to do? Interesting column by Paul Krugman in the New York Times today that Joe Biden uh, and Bernie are uh, essentially one and the same and bad news for the Democrats. So we'll be talking about that as the day unfolds. Plenty of political talk ahead of us. Before we do any of that, Dr. D has the news. Absolutely. How's it going? I'm Dennis, guys. Not a doctor. Never have been a doctor. I went to community college. All right. Before we, we, t- before we take our deep dive into the local news, Governor Pritzker's fair tax tour and another sappy speech from Mayor Rahm Emanuel... <laughs> Let's talk about what's happening nationally this Friday afternoon. William Barr must go. Democrats are calling for the removal of Attorney General William Barr today after his testimony on Capitol Hill. Yeah, he bailed out on day two of the testimony. Yeah, he should have shown up. There was free chicken. Oh, yeah. I would have been there. Steve Cohen brought fried chicken, man. You missed out, Barr. But it was Kentucky fried chicken. I'm not a big fan. You like Kentucky fried chicken? Yeah, it's it's real good. Popeyes. All right, time out, time out. You had to choose. You have to choose right now. Boom. All right, I'm, the, the roles reverse. He's always going, Ben, da 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 There you go, young man. You got to choose. Popeyes or, or Kentucky Fry? Which one do you take? I'm going KFC. Well, I go Popeyes, baby. All, All right. right. We, we don't see eye to eye on that one. Oh, man. Well, I'm, the ride home is going to be interesting tonight, guys. <laughs> Massachusetts Democratic Representative and 2020 presidential candidate Seth Moulton said Barr should face impeachment hearings over his handling of special counsel Robert Mueller's report. And Ben, he really means it. Here's the quote from Moulton. Quote, I'm absolutely for holding impeachment hearings. See, he (laughs) said it. He must be for it if he Ah, said he was for it. He said it. And then he gets a little flip-floppy here. I guess he realized uh, he hasn't checked the pollsters on this one quite yet. <laughs> Which way's the wind blowing? Moulton then said eh, he didn't think it was the right time to vote to impeach Barr, but U.S. lawmakers should at least consider the issue. Uh, of impeaching Barr as opposed to impeaching Trump. Okay, we're going to do a twofer. Let's let's impeach them both. Let's see which one falls first. Uh, by the way, there are Seth Moulton's one of 21. I think there's a 20. Have we established how many candidates there are for uh, for president? No, we haven't done that. No. Uh, somebody flip-flopped by saying, well, there's 701 who have filed one way or the other. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I this is the Democrats right now are really struggling with this issue, folks, of impeachment. They don't know how far to push it. Uh, there are those of the leftist persuasion in the public and the, the party who say impeach, impeach. Uh, that would be me. Uh, and then there are the cautious few, uh, like apparently Moulton and Nancy Pelosi, like, mm, I'm looking to see which way the polls are going. By the way, 
very interesting column. I urge everybody uh, to read it from uh, Mona Sharin. I hope I'm pronouncing her name correct. Uh, she is a, uh, a columnist of the right-wing persuasion uh, that runs in the Sun-Times. But uh, her headline says it all. If it was wrong for Bill Clinton to lie, it's wrong for Bill Barr to lie. We were putting this question. I think it was Monroe Anderson had to wrestle with this issue of Bill Clinton. Does he have new thoughts about uh, the impeachment of Bill Clinton? If the issue is lying, folks, if you're going to take a stand against public officials lying under oath, come on, Republicans. Got to speak out about William Barr. So Moulton's going impeachment. California senator and also 2020 presidential candidate Kamala Harris wants Barr's resignation. Here's the tweet from Harris today. I'll be frank. In this week's hearing, Attorney General Barr refused to answer most of my questions. And when he did, his answers were alarming. It's time for him to resign. Okay, so she's for resignation. Don't Mm -hmm. bother with impeachment of Barr because you got to impeach... Uh, you have to go. You have to go impeach Trump. Can't have too many impeachment hearings going at one. But uh, I don't think there's any chance that uh, William Barr will uh, resign over this matter. He's doing exactly what uh, Trump wanted him to do when Trump appointed him. This is what Trump wanted Sessions to do. Trump wants a defense lawyer as Attorney General, and that is what Bill Barr did. Uh, that's how he was acting, I should say, when he came before the Senate uh, Judiciary Committee or the Senate the Senate hearing on when was that Tuesday? I've lost track of time. So. Uh, He's doing what Trump hired him to do. And as long as Trump's the man in charge, he's not resigning or uh, getting fired. So, Ben Jarofsky, we're throwing it to you. Mm -hmm. And this ain't KFC or Popeye's, buddy. (laughs) Should he resign? Impeachment, (laughs) resignation, either or neither. All right. Well, first of all, uh, he's not going to resign, as I just said. And I think it's a waste of time to impeach a bar. Uh, the big the big figure uh, in terms of impeachment talk is Donald Trump, and that is what Democrats should be concentrating on as they pursue the truth in what went down in the 2016 collusion. Yeah, I called it collusion uh, involving the Trump campaign and the Russians and then the follow-up obstruction of justice. Well, William Barr, however this turns out, just remember, it could be worse, all right? Yeah, at least you're not... President Donald Trump's former attorney, Michael Cohen, he's going to jail on Monday. Cohen's going to jail. Isn't that interesting? Cohen's the one going to jail. Cohen warned everybody about this. Uh, Nothing but trouble for people who stand up for Trump. Cohen, 53 years of age, was sentenced in December to three years in jail for a series of financial crimes and lying to Congress. Yeah, he can't do that. Mm -hmm. A judge had previously granted Cohen a 60-day delay in starting his prison sentence. In dramatic testimony on Capitol Hill in February, Cohen accused Trump of being a racist and a con man. He also said the president personally reimbursed him for the hush money Cohen paid to prevent adult film actress Stormy Daniels from speaking out about her alleged affair with Trump. The payments were a violation of U.S. campaign finance. Yes, indeed. Uh, Mike Cohen, it's interesting that he says, uh, like you you said, uh, Dennis, you can't do that. You can't lie to Congress. But it's pretty clear uh, that William Barr was lying to Congress. Uh, And it was, by the way, what a a slippery move by William Barr. I I, I almost have to give him credit that the question was put to him. Uh, uh, under oath, uh, whether he had contacted anybody uh, or anybody from the um, uh, Mueller staff had contacted him with concerns about how he had handled the the first uh, publication of the Mueller report or his first uh, email, his letter about the Mueller report. And he said no. Uh, and then later on, it turned out that Mueller himself uh, had written a letter uh, to uh, Barr, which was critical about how Barr had handled it. And then was Barr was asked about it, he goes, well, you asked me about the staff. You didn't ask me about Mueller. So kind of a slippery move there uh, by William Barr. And um, is that lying? You know, 
And that's just where I love, love my Republican friends are like, well, Ben, it's not a lie because uh, literally, technically. Which one of your friends is that? <laughs> I got a Republican friend somewhere. He's hiding. All right. Actually, I talked to a Republican today. Okay. Uh, the Republican's name will uh, go unmentioned. But uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, I do have a. I think do I have any Republican friends? Dave? I'm trying to think now. Do I have any Republican friends? I got a couple. Uh, anyway, uh, so it's interesting how um, you know. Well, you know, Ben, it's, he he didn't tactically. All of a sudden, all Republicans get all lawyer-like when they're defending uh, uh, Donald Trump. But when it's Clinton, oh no, God, cut to the truth. All right, hey, everybody in the live stream chat. Sorry, I'm trying to get this video figured out. Boy, I am not a video guy. I'm trying my hardest here. Uh, trying to get this to work here. Brian! <laughs> trying to get the techie Brian to come in here to help us. Smartest man in the building. Brian, please help! <laughs> All right, so while we get that figured out, we'll talk about some other news. And other news. Brian. Where's Brian? Brian! By the way, did you see, I don't know if you saw this, the testimony, they, they stole one of my gags. You know, I always do the Which bit one? about, where, hey, is he hiding under the table? Oh, they did they, that? Yeah, they did that at the hearing. Is he hiding under the table? Hey, wait a minute! Oh, we'll be suing their asses soon. <laughs> yeah, let's get bar in court right All now. Right. In other news, Ben, we got competition, buddy. Ooh. Oh, we got to get this video figured out, because yeah. former President Bill Clinton and his daughter Chelsea have launched a podcast. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Do you know the name of it? Does it say? Uh, the podcast is titled, Why Am I Telling You This? And we'll see the father-daughter duo discuss people, issues, and events that shape our work and our world. The new venture is an effort for the public to better engage with the Family's Clinton Foundation. <laughs> It's a Clinton uh, Foundation the Clinton thing. thing, man. I don't know about America with the Clintons. I think America's kind of tired of the Clintons right now. They're sort of like the Bush family, you know. Not a lot, lot of America's just got Bush fatigue and Clinton fatigue, and just want to kind of move on from those errors. But God bless them, man. The more the merrier in the podcast pool, huh? Oh, I don't know. Like I said, we got to get this video figured out of Clinton and his daughter <laughs> in the podcast. My goodness, we got to get the downloads. All right. Well, of course, we'll keep you posted on these stories as today's program moves along. And we're moving right along as well, because coming up after this short little break, people, we are going to find out what else is news. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. It's Chicagoland's adult entertainment playground. It's the world-famous Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago, and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city. 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club, the Admiral has showgirls galore and a variety of adult entertainment shows. The world-famous Admiral Theater, open every day from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m., 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. For events, showtime, and other information, visit AdmiralX.com. Must be 18 years of age or older to enter. At Chicago and Cremation Options, we are committed to listening, educating, and guiding your family through the cremation process. Whether it is time of death or when planning your wishes for the future, Chicagoland Cremation Options can accommodate you at an affordable price and with great dignity. Avoid funeral home costs with direct access to a crematory for a cremation. Chicagoland Cremation Options, just south of O'Hare, five minutes west of Chicago. It's a family-owned business and operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Visit it at ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time, ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. 
Drofsky.com. Hey, Ben, fantastic job on that live read. Welcome <laughs> back to the Ben Drofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. We are indeed live. We are indeed back. And it is the time of the day where we uh, take the dive into the local news. A lot of ROM news out there and a little Pritzker news. And what else you got for me, Dave? Well, that's, that's it. ROM and Pritzker news. Uh-oh. You kind of took my news. Okay, we're about to find out what's going on locally. Time for what else is news. Is Illinois getting its groove back? Well, if you were to ask Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker and Chicago Mayor, but thank God not for much longer, Mayor Rahm Emanuel, they'd say, oh, hell yeah. yeah. We got our game back. Illinois is finally getting its mojo back. We got the spring in our step. Uh, All right. Got the spring in our step. <laughs> got that walking in rhythm. We have audio to play from both Rahm Emanuel and J.B. Pritzker this week. But before we get into that, Ben Jarofsky, what say you? Can you feel it in the air? Is Rom and uh, J.B. Pritzker, are they right here? Do you agree with these guys? Do you think Illinois and Chicago is starting to get its groove back? Uh, no. I, uh, I Well, I know that a lot of people in in Chicago are relieved uh, and happy that Mayor Rahm is sort of disappearing uh, from the scene, although he won't completely disappear. I have a feeling uh, uh, he'll be a public per- person for a while. But uh, So I guess there is some relief uh, that we're getting a new mayor. So, you know, in that sense, it's like painting the walls, D. You know what I'm saying? Every now and then you paint the walls just to get a whole new perspective of things. So I kind of feel that's what's happening in the city of Chicago. will remind, I always have to remind myself when I get too excited about these things. I believe, what was it, like 65 to 68 percent of the people who were eligible to vote did not vote in the last mayor's election. So it's not like everybody weighed in. Although, whenever I say something like this, invariably somebody uh, will point out to me, well, Ben, by not voting, they really were voting. Whoa, that's kind of like, whoa, let's think about that for a while. But uh, yeah, so I guess it is good that we're like leaving the ROM years behind us. I feel as though it was eight wasted years uh, to a large degree. So that's good. In terms of Pritzker, well, good God. <laughs> We've all forgotten Router, haven't we? Just oh, yeah. put him out of our minds. That was a, a really bad four-year moment uh, for the state of Illinois where it was just sort of like uh, what was the sort of like trying out nihilism and uh, anarchy and uh, uh, it was just um, uh, the, the the notion of a governor who thought it was a good idea to uh, bankrupt government uh, was a disaster. So in that respect, it is good uh, that we have somebody who's responsible and believes in government uh, running the show. So the bar is low, but... You know, that's what we have to deal with in Illinois. Like I said, we have audio to play from both J.B. Pritzker and Rahm Emanuel. We'll we'll begin with the governor. As his graduated income tax got through phase one, passing the Senate. And as we wait to see if uh, it goes through the House, on Wednesday, J.B. Pritzker began his fair tax tour in Springfield. He spoke with the Illinois Manufacturers Association and the Illinois Retail Merchants Association. And nothing too major to report here from the speech. Not a lot of audio either, but let's hear Sugar Ray Pritzker <laughs> go to work. It's Wait. been a while since we called him Sugar and Ray. Why is that? For those who may be new to the show, why do we call him Sugar Ray Pritzker? Well, this goes back to uh, when the campaign, uh, the gubernatorial campaign, actually the primary, the Democratic primary. And uh, I just remarked about how quick on his feet uh, J.B. Pritzker was. And uh, I said, and sometimes I called him a tra- Travolta, John Travolta, because he's such a quick, uh, nimble dancer. But of course, Sugar Ray Leonard, one of the great boxers of all time. And there was Sugar Ray Robinson as well. They were known for being really quick in their feet, and you couldn't really hit them because they were dancing so much. And that uh, is what J.B. Pritzker reminded me of back in the campaign trail. Whatever the issue was, uh, you know, he, he would be caught up in some embarrassing uh, oh tape revelation of his, the phone calls with uh, Blagojevich. 
reporters would be badgering him about that, or they'd be badgering him about why he won't release uh, the specifics of the uh, his income tax hike, which is you now we're finally dealing with right now. And no matter how many times you slammed at him, he would always have he was just had that sort of affable personality, and he'd go, "Well, that's a good question," and then he'd do a little dance and like. Wait, did he answer that question? Remember the one reporter? What was the dude's name? I forget his name. He was uh, maybe downstate or somewhere. Kept hammering. We kept playing that tape oh, over yeah, and over yeah, again. Yeah. I believe it was Tom Miller of WJPF Carterville, Illinois. Uh, no, I don't oh, think it was, it was Miller. No. It was a different guy, but he kept hammering. And you go, nice try. <laughs> they were going, nice try. And, and uh, Sugar Ray Pritzker's just ducking and dodging, man. So anyway, kind of got admiration for him. Quick on his feet. So Old J.B. Pritzker. He began his speech with a quick jab to the previous administration. <laughs> okay, that's. Yeah. You remember, yeah, yeah, obviously. Yay for our teachers. <laughs> Yay for our teachers. That guy, Bruce Rauner. So uh, he took a quick jab at them, uh, saying that they left the state in what he called a dire fiscal situation Mm -hmm. and let everyone know that Illinois is open for business. After years of neglect, Illinois is finally getting its mojo back, (laughs) and we're open for business. There you go. Uh, Yeah, it's always, uh, you know, it's a little scary when um, they talk about Illinois or Chicago being open for business, because generally, given our reputation, that means somebody's getting a payment under the table or, you know, something illicit is is going on. But uh, anyway, yeah, it is good, like I said, uh, that we've... uh, Give it up on the experiment of some of having a governor, a governor who wants to bankrupt uh, Illinois government, and now we have a governor who wants uh, to fund uh, Illinois government. But uh, I don't know the notion that Illinois is open for business. Uh, kind of, you know, I'm not quite sure that I would have uh, delivered that line uh, to uh, talk about for my theme. If you will, J.B. Pritzker then tried to break bread with those who may not agree with his fair tax plan. Business leaders say they are concerned that the idea could hurt their businesses. They point to the recent statewide minimum wage increase to $15 an hour as another example uh, why they fear that will hurt their bottom line. Here's J.B. Pritzker. There are people here I know who disagree with me about this proposal, and that's healthy in our democracy. But to be clear, doing nothing is not an option. All right. Doing nothing is not an option. He's absolutely correct about that. Illinois has some pressing uh, financial problems. We have to figure out a way how to fund government. I've been saying this for two years now. And I think the equitable way, the fair way to do it is to have a progressive tax in which you ask the wealthiest people in the state to pay more than the non-wealthiest people in the state, the middle class people, the working class people, or the poor people. I feel as though there is a general consensus of agreement from the center to the left on this. It's from the center to the right where there's a disagreement and that generally the notion there uh, is that they don't want government, but they only want certain kinds of government. And this is where it gets interesting, D. Uh, for instance, we one central, the plan that we talked about yesterday where they're going to build a skyscraper on the train tracks just west of Soldier Field, we'll be talking a lot about this, is going to require... Uh, at least $3.8 billion, as I understand it, of public money. Taxpayers' money. Okay, folks? At least $3.8 billion. Once they start going, it's probably going to get close to $5 billion if I know the state of Illinois and the city of Chicago when it comes to development deals. So... 
This proposal has been championed by the Tribune's editorial board, which represents corporate Chicago. It's been championed by the Chamber of Commerce, which represents corporate Chicago. It's been championed by many Republicans in the city of Chicago as a needed investment in the future of our region. All right. You want your money for this deal? How about money for all the other things we need in Illinois, like pension payments, roads in ordinary neighborhoods, schools, police, firefighters, etc., and so forth? You want something? You got to give a little something. But apparently, they only want something. So I'm saying if Illinois really is open for business, as J.B. Pritzker says, we should be fair about it. Everybody should get a little something. It shouldn't just be billions of dollars for the downtown developer. All right. Moving along here, we are going to now discuss Mayor Rahm Emanuel. Oh, wait. J.B. Pritzker had one more quote. So sorry about that, J.B. I'm not a perfect person. (laughs) That's J.B. ducking and dodging. I believe that was his response to the Blagojevich tape where he said nasty things about Jesse White. Am I correct about that one? Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Now on to Mayor Rahm Emanuel. Uh, well, 18 days until his mayoral, mayoral tenure comes to an end. Ben, you're uh, you getting a little sad? <laughs> getting sad at all? See, I'm just like sunrise, sunset. Where was that no, little mayor it, I once? Sorry. Yeah, no, I'm just every day I wake up a little sadder that Mayor Rahm's a little, cl- little closer out the door. All right. In one of his final speeches as mayor, Rahm Emanuel reflected on the highs and lows of his eight-year tenure in an address to the City Club of Chicago. Uh, I have the audio here. Not a lot of Audio, but it's enough. First up, Mayor Rahm channeled his inner Popeye yesterday. <laughs> yes, when addressing his haters, Mayor Rahm, Mayor Rahm Emanuel said, "Hey, I am what I am. Leave me alone. I am who I am. I am who I yeah, am. Okay. Right? <laughs> I am. I am I who am. I am. And that's who he is. <laughs> He's Popeye. All right. <laughs> He's gonna eat this spinach and." <laughs> Like I Destroy said, schools. Not too much audio from this here, but when it comes to the issues on the south and west side of the city, mm-hmm. Rom said, hey, that, that had nothing to do with me, all right? Remember, that had nothing to do with me. Let's be honest, guys. Did the problems on the south and west side start in 2011? All right, you know, all right, let me deal with this. <clears throat> Take a pause, calm down, think things through. By the way, I've been accused on my own show of being unfair to Mayor Rom. Tommy McNamee sat in that chair, said, you're too hard and mean to Mayor Rahm. Kenny Davis was saying much of the same thing. Great interview with Ken Davis. When will that run? Oh, we're having a bonus episode of Kenny Davis. He was our guest yesterday, but we did a bonus episode with him as well. He was reflecting on his show, uh, Chicago Newsroom, and that's going to air on Monday morning, I believe. All right. Uh, So, you know, people have accused me of being too uh, hard on Mayor Rahm. Uh, Romana Hussein will be coming in here so- shortly. I'll ask her what she thinks. Have I been too hard on Mayor Rahm? Uh, but the reality is this. Mayor Rahm came into office and he did not give a hoot about the economic problems ailing the West and the South sides. He came into office championing what, what they call neoliberal, or what I call basically conservative Mitt Romney-type uh, strategies t- to deal with what was going on in the city of Chicago. He wanted to close schools. He wanted to lay off teachers. He wanted teachers to make less. He wanted to promote charter schools that pay teachers less. Uh, he was for development deals that poured their money into the loop. He was not promoting development deals on the... Uh, 
east uh, on the south and west sides. He completely, totally paid no attention whatsoever to the issue of police relations uh, with uh, folks on the south and the west side. He completely ignored those communities uh, in that first year, four years. It was like they didn't even exist. Uh, then after he got into trouble because of the Laquan McDonald tape, when that was finally, when he was finally forced to release that, he began to drift a little bit to the left. And by then it was uh, too little, too late, in my humble opinion. And now as he's leaving office, he's trying to pretend as though uh, he inherited this city that was in wretched shape. We'll probably talk more about this uh, as the day goes on. You may, you may have some clips on this uh, and, and saying, folks, I did my best to solve the problems that I faced. The reality is, uh, Mayor Rahm, you ignored those problems for much of your first uh, term in office. That's my belief on this situation. Uh, some people say I'm unfair when I say that, so we'll let the debate continue. If you think Ben Jarofsky is unfair about that, head over to the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook or Twitter page, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J, Show, S-H-O-W. Let Ben Jarofsky know what you think. <laughs> but just like that, you're now in the know of what's going on in Chicago and or Illinois. Illinois getting its groove back. We got our game back. Woo! Illinois is finally getting its mojo back. Yeah. We got the spring in our step. All right. Spring in our step. Yeah, maybe not. Right. But now you have an answer the next time someone asks you, hey, what else is news? All right. Let me tell you something that uh, Bill Barr thinks. Okay. Bill Buckner used to play for the Chicago Cubs. All right. And Billy Comber, a kid went to high school with. They all agree. You did a great job. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Romano Hussein is here uh, for the Romano Rundown. We do it every Friday. Among the many questions I'm going to ask, Am I being unfair to Mayor Rahm? Is she, does she, Ramana, feel that Mayor Rahm is a great mayor who led us into the future, a great future? We're going to ask Ramana that when we come back. The Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by the Chicago Sun-Times. For the latest in Chicago and Illinois news, sports, weather, and the latest in national news from a real Chicago frame of mind and real Chicago writers, check out the Chicago Sun-Times. Read the daily paper or online at chicago.suntimes.com. And hey, if you have a little extra cash, subscribe. And by the Chicago Reader. For a deeper dive in the daily Chicago news and for all of what's going on in this city, you gotta read the Reader. Music, arts and culture, film, extensive event calendars, concert listings, and more, including weekly political columns from writers like Maya Dukmasova and, yes, our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader is free in newsstands and at chicagoreader.com. That's chicagoreader.com. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Ramana Hussein is with us in the studio, editor here at the Chicago Sun-Times. We do it every Friday. We get together with Ramana Hussein, talk about the uh, issues of the week. So many things to talk about, so little time. Let's get right down to it. And again, as I like to point out, Ramana uh, has a great perspective because not only is she an editor here at the Sun-Times who edits, uh, makes sense out of uh, many of the stories that appear in my beloved Bright One uh, every day, but she spent many years covering criminal justice issues uh, at 
at uh, 26 in California. And uh, so the courthouse there and so Romana, you're like, oh, no, do we got to? But yes, <laughs> we need uh, before we get to Mayor Rahm and uh, his his crying yesterday about how mean everybody is to him. <laughs> before we get to you can before I force you to do, and Fran Spielman, was she too mean to Rahm? You know, not just me, but uh, before we get to that, got to get some uh, Jesse Smollett update. It seems like. This story is not going anywhere, uh, and uh, so why don't you update us a little bit on what's the you know some of the latest things that have happened? Kim Fox, state's attorney, Jesse Smollett, go ahead. Okay, so um, the story keeps going. <laughs> it's like the Energizer Bunny. I, um, from what I recall, there were two things that happened this week. At least uh, stories that I edited or dealt with. The first one was that Jesse Smollett's attorney said that uh, I think it was this week, um, or it, that he that he doesn't have to appear for a, a hearing today on a special a call for a special prosecutor. That hearing was on Thursday, mm-hmm. and uh, that hearing is basically it was a motion that was filed by a former appellate court judge named Sheila O'Brien. She had filed this uh, shortly after the charges were dropped. The disorderly conduct charges were dropped against Jesse Smollett for allegedly faking a hate crime. She had filed this uh, motion asking that uh, whether or not Jesse Smollett should be recharged and uh, and basically to look into how Kim Fox's office handled the Jesse Smollett case. Okay, now before we go any further, a couple things I have to ask mm-hmm. you. Number one, she just filed this as a private citizen, as a former judge. Nobody asked her to do it. She just did no. this on her from own. From what I understand, it wasn't like anybody told her to do this. I don't, you know, obviously I don't know. I don't know this judge. I know that, uh, she, you know, she has sent us emails about the uh, motion. I know she sent our editors um, some info about the motion when she first filed this. Um, and so she is available. I know people have talked to her. I haven't heard anything about whether anybody put her up to this. So okay. um, from what I understand, she put this up on her own. Uh, there was also another motion that was a similar motion that was filed by another person, another lawyer. Now, this lawyer was a former assistant state's attorney that worked under Kim Fox. Mm-hmm. Um, he recently withdrew that petition i think that was actually that was actually what happened earlier this week i I don't know about jesse smollett's lawyers following um i think they filed that petition to you know to quash the subpoena to have him be at this hearing yesterday so there was uh and 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 you know that the county's office of inspector general is in fact doing an independent investigation on how kim fox's office handled this investigation so there is one investigation happening already so this is a separate request um, gotcha. This is on the part of the state's attorney's office. And so yesterday, this is, no, there's so many people involved and so many players involved, but the Sheila O'Brien motion, mm-hmm. that went up before the chief criminal court's judge, Leroy K. Martin Jr. Mm-hmm. Now, Leroy K. Martin Jr.'s son also works for Kim Fox. So yesterday, Sheila O'Brien pointed out that there could be a conflict of interest because your son works for Kim Fox. And then, you know, he sounded a little like 
frustrated but then he's like you know i'll think about it so he Leroy basically martin said that yeah, yeah. Leroy martin mm-hmm. said that and i don't know if you knew but Leroy, i'm sure you do know Leroy <laughs> martin's uh father yes. was the chief of police yes. at one point or superintendent i should say uh for under harold washington yes mm-hmm. was it under harold washington i'm pretty sure i thought it was in the 90s but i could uh, be wrong i think it was harold washington but you know what i could be wrong I too <laughs> both of us <laughs> could be wrong so many yeah. I, yeah so many years have passed but, yes uh, exactly so um yeah so yesterday that that's what happened. So there, I think all the parties on this special prosecutor motion that Sheila O'Brien had sent in, all the parties are going to be in um, in court on May 10th, which is next week. Now, um, Kim Fox wasn't at this hearing. Um, either was her first assistant uh, and either was Jesse Smollett. So it was like, you know, attorneys for the state's attorney's office. Sheila O'Brien was there and it, it was a and so that was basically the crux of the hearing about this conflict of interest with Leroy K. Martin Jr.'s son. I know. So it's like an office. issue within an issue because. Exactly. The, it keeps going. I'm it keeps like, you. Yeah. So now we have to. Uh, and, you know, I don't know. So what's your just your instinctive thought about whether having a son uh, who is an employee of a large bureaucracy uh, it would enable, you know, would force Leroy Martin uh, to recuse himself or to pass the case on to somebody else. I think um, I think our um, Andy Grimm had talked to an ethics professor, uh-huh. a legal ethics professor, and he said um, he wouldn't have to unless he, I forgot the, unless he wants to use, he used this term called extreme, extreme caution. Mm-hmm. If, so that means like basically if he wants to be like extra cautious, but it, it sounded like it wouldn't be a conflict of interest if he stayed on the case. And uh, Sheila O'Brien is also asking that someone outside of Cook County handle this mm-hmm. investigation yeah. into um, Kim Fox's office and the handling of this case. And I don't know, there could be some, I don't know whoever gets, if it's going to be, you know, approved or what's going to happen with it. But, you know, like I said, there is that question of there is someone from the county investigating this right now. And if there was another one, there'd be two mm-hmm. investigations. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about this. Uh, I don't know if... Uh, uh, Judge Martin's son went to work for the state's attorney's office uh, after Kim Fox was elected. He was hired last year. Oh, he's, okay. So that April, that. April of 2018. It's a slippery slope when you start talking about conflicts of interest just because you have relatives. Right now on the Supreme Court, Justice Clarence Thomas is, has a wife who's a right wing activist who met in the White House with uh, Donald Trump uh, on issues like uh, vehement opposition to abortion rights. So should he recuse himself from any kind of abortion issue that comes before him? I mean, his wife is a political political operative uh, who is, uh, you know, um, lobbying Donald Trump. I mean, where does it end on this? No, it's true. It's true. And especially in this city, everything is like everybody's connected in some way. I mean, there's some times where I've had to, I guess, recuse myself from stories because I'm like, wait, I know that person or I can't really cover that because I know this person who's running for office or something. No, I know that feeling as well. And um, sometimes it just you know what? I wait till the election's over, and I'll just deal with who wins. Yeah. And uh, given how many newsmakers are from Lincolnwood, I have to. That's correct. That. I'm joking. Not that I know everybody that comes out of Lincolnwood and makes the news, but Niles West. So the great ones come from Niles West. All right. And uh, now you said something. You filed a motion seeking to uh, if uh, Justice Smollett should be recharged. Uh, again, I am no lawyer. Did not go to law school. Just watched a lot of legal shows on TV and read a lot of. Uh, uh, Double Jeopardy. Yes. So, yes, exactly. Can you do that? I guess she's saying because, I don't know, 
I don't know. I guess that's what she's looking into, whether he could be prosecuted again, mm-hmm. you know, just because of the way this this was handled. I'm thinking maybe she, maybe her motion is asking, like, so if there was impropriety on Kim Fox's office's part, could he be recharged? I guess that's what that's what I'm thinking. I didn't look at the motion. I just look, you know, I just been doing a lot of the stories on it. But that's one of the questions that she asked. I think it's like a twofold type of motion and then of course it's the political fallout uh, on all this um, which in Chicago it usually separates along racial lines a big surprise there uh, and uh, we're you know we have uh, the fraternal order of police outraged yeah. I don't know if you saw the speech uh, yeah the Kevin Graham speech I, saw, I read the story mm-hmm. about where he brings up uh, Kim Fox and you know this specific case, but I think that I think the FOP and uh, the people that are, have been speaking out way on the other side, I think they haven't liked Kim Fox in a long time. No, so this just kind of give them a more reason to speak out. Yeah, it's almost as though it's an excuse to go after Kim Fox. And again, the issue of alternative sentencing that Kim Fox represents, it's a shame in my humble opinion mm-hmm. that that would get thrown out. Yeah, because that definitely, I, I believe that 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 program does help a lot of people. Also, I don't know if you saw, but Jesse Smollett's character is not <laughs> reappearing in Empire next month. Yeah, but I they didn't that. they didn't really fire him. They no. just it, it, they did it they said it in a way that, you know, his character is not coming back, but that doesn't mean I guess he, he that, that kind of leaves it open so if they want to hire him again or give him parts yeah, again. So I don't believe that was literal- that was the other thing that happened this yeah, week. Yeah. They didn't literally kill off the character. And I always like to point out, you know, you could bring him back. So they're like waiting to see which way is this going? We'll bring him back. I mean, and- I heard the sh- I I never watched <laughs> Empire, but everybody said it's a real it was a really good show for the first couple seasons, so I think it's gotten weaker the last couple seasons. So, I don't know, maybe the show's going to be over after seasons. I think it's season 6 that they're on right now. All right, and the point I also want to make and I made this before, I'd like to say this uh, uh Kevin Graham, who got uh, the Fraternal Order of Police, head of the Fraternal Order of Police, gave this speech uh, where he said he wants the state's attorney to stop acting like a defense lawyer. Oh, yeah, sorry. And, and start yeah, that's acting what she like said. a yeah. prosecutor. That's what uh, he said. And I just find that so interesting because I feel myself saying the same thing when, about William Barr when, oh. at, the, at the White House. So I'm waiting for uh, you know the Fraternal Order of Police to join me, okay, in this larger crusade. But I bet if it was a police officer who was charged with something, they'd want her to act like a defense attorney. I don't know. I'm yes. just I'm just throwing that out there because it's it it's the, I just find it interesting the FOP's response to all of this. Uh, yeah, I find it I, I think it's just given because I, I think there are people um you know even you know who aren't necessarily white who are asking questions but they're just not going to that level where they're just like they want her head. No, Kim I Fox think it's a, I think it's a shame that Kim Fox left herself open uh, for these attacks by virtue by taking that phone call from Tina Chen. It comes down to that every single time, Romana. For just, you, I think for it me. Did. I don't know. I, I I think it's a more complex. Do you think it's the Tina Chen factor? What else is there? I mean, she took the call. She acted uh, on behalf of Justice Smollett. She made the call. She passed on the information to the police chief of the city of Chicago. She intervened in the case on behalf. Of a family member of Jesse Smollett, uh, the police chief responded. They were like, give, like, this guy was getting pushed to the head of the line in terms of powerful people showing an interest in his case. And then uh, when when the story emerges, it's being used by people um, on the right to just 
to discredit the whole notion of alternative sentencing. And so that's what I'm saying. I believe Kim Fox did the right thing to stand up for alternative sentencing. But yeah, but this is a separate case. That's right, the but problem. they're using yeah, it. That's what, that's, that's what I think is problematic, I guess, for a lot of people is like, don't bring the whole program into it into it this is a separate case i think the way it was handled i think if you, even if you talk to some defense attorneys who represent a lot of these uh suspects who are or a lot of these individuals who go through this program they'll tell you that the way the jesse smollett case was handled was completely different than anything their clients had to undergo no i know they, they say that they why don't we get that no, kind yeah of i told you it's called uh all right now let's move on to my uh the front page of my sun times facebook bans farrakhan it's uh nation of islam leader as well as right-wing luminaries alex jones and Milo yiannopoulos toss for violating social media giants policy against hate violence uh this is kind of a local spin yeah. on a story that large you know it's when it's na- covered national the emphasis is on the banning of Alex Jones and Milo and the other right wing in Chicago. It's uh, in Chicago, well, at least in the Sun Times, it's Farrakhan. I think yeah. the, I don't. I think the Tribune ignored Farrakhan completely in their coverage. Well, what's interesting with this is that Louis Farrakhan. I mean, at least by the mainstream has been ignored for years or kind of discredited for years. Those other groups like Milo just up until like maybe three or four years ago, he was invited to uh to Paul to speak. Mm-hmm. So I just think I, I, I'm not condoning what Louis Farrakhan has said or what you know the objections are, but he's kind of treated differently than all these other groups that the white, I don't know, this maybe because I'm a person of color, I just feel like people have discredited him for years already. So I don't know if banning him on Facebook is really going to stop people who do you know, listen to him or follow him. Well, and so I, I, I think I, I, I'm not saying I, I think it's just an interesting thing. I just think, you know, fine, these guys are getting bans, but like especially with these white supremacist groups, like another one will pop up. There's a lot of political leaders in our country right now who probably espouse the same values, and they still have Facebook groups. I mean, every once in a while, you'll see these politicians puts you know like different, not necessarily in Chicago, but they put controversial you know, comments about other groups on Facebook and they're well, still on there. I have, I'm all over the map on this one. Yeah. I, I, I think it's you. a very complex issue. I, not to say, I mean, Facebook has been criticized for a long time for allowing certain material to be on its pages. Mm-hmm. And I, I read something that said that, you know, this could have been a response to the Christchurch shootings mm-hmm. because this guy had live streamed uh, his, his his actions the the shooter in that case and they said that you know they said they go through this long process of how they vet who gets banned and they said that they look in facebook was saying that they look into whether or not that in the description of this the groups whether they include hatred hatred in them or whether whether any of these groups have caused like you know the death or like violence or asked for violence so i don't know i think it's 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 interesting which he, which, which individuals they pick Louis Farrakhan I never would have thought of I mean I I don't think like if they you take him off Facebook he's well know, that the group is already like kind of diminishing anyway the nation of Islam from well, what I understand yeah anecdotally at least there, there, there's those are like separate issues like will will people who follow Alex Jones find their way to him even if he's not on Facebook yeah. or will people who follow Louis Farrakhan find their way it's Facebook and Instagram yeah, yeah it's Facebook and so there's so other still Twitter yeah th- yeah there's other networks and they have their own they have their own blogs they have their own TV shows etc uh 
And you know, I struggle with this because on one hand, I'm I try to think you know, I got this libertarian street, freedom of speech, freedom of speech. But on the other hand, it's face they get to they own it. It's this is the point I made earlier today. It's it's not the Daily Plaza. Facebook owns Facebook. They should have the right to determine if they don't want me on, they kick me off. I don't know why they would, but they could they could kick you what off, a, kick miles off. They could kick, you know. What I about mean, uh, what about fake news? They've been criticized because they've allowed fake news to kind of proliferate on their on their. On I, their I think that Facebook is uh, finally. Um, you know, being forced to confront uh, the inconsistencies yeah. of their own existence where they pretend as though they have no control whatsoever what goes on and they milk it. They make tremendous amounts of advertising revenue but from all those eyeballs. And then all of a sudden, some uh, lunatic goes into a mosque and shoots people. And they're confronted with relative culpability in yeah. that or somebody goes into a synagogue and shoots people and you, then you see that on Facebook they've been spouting all this hate and they have to come face to face with yeah. you know with their culpability and all that and I think that's what's happening here for sure I think it's it's a very interesting time right now I mean social media people probably didn't think social media would catch on fire like this when they first started I mean I I remember when Facebook started my younger sister was in grad school and she was telling me about it and i'm like oh and then i you know after after it got a little more popular i was like oh i think i'm too old to be on it and she created my profile for me and then then i then i started going on it but <laughs> i know i don't know if we talked about this but oh maybe i talked about it with other people but facebook actually isn't popular with generation z they're the ones after the millennials because my nephew who's 18 i have an 18 year old nephew he had no interest in joining he said that and then my niece who's i have a 25 year old niece who wanted to be on it because you know for her generation it was like really cool she was 14 but now she's told me that nobody she goes they think of it as something for old people yeah well it's funny um, so i don't think people in their 20s or mid-20s to like I got some Under. bad news. I'm going to just break this, take this moment to break some bad news to, for all my friends in the of the Generation Z persuasion, including some that may be in this room. You're not going to be Generation Z forever, my <laughs> friends. That ticking clock ticks for you as well. So what I don't know is like if you're a Generation Z person or whatever they are, and then suddenly you become, like if you just think of these classifications as uh, times of ages yeah. then you become a millennial so i'm generation x yeah then you become a generation x or you're in your 40s and then you become a baby boomer you're some old geezer you know, are you gonna start like <laughs> nobody Facebook? likes the baby boomers <laughs> nobody likes boomers. after what's there people are making fun of woodstock because they got canceled uh, Oh, it yeah. might not be canceled, but I don't know. No, no, I am so sick of Woodstock. Baby boomers, can you stop luxuriating in Woodstock? First of all, nobody would want to go there. I mean, this is horrible. But anyway, okay, yeah, go putting ahead. aside so, from yeah. it, but will they, as they get older, you know, like, so is it, okay, so if you're 20, oh my God, I hate Facebook. I wouldn't want to go there. Suddenly, like when you're 35, do you view the world differently? Oh, I kind of like Facebook. I want to go on. It might Facebook. be gone by the time they're 35. Yeah, it might be gone. You're right. It might be something new. Uh, anyway. they, I know the younger kids do like Instagram. And for a second, they liked Snapchat, but yeah. I, I think that might be losing some steam. There's something else called TikTok. My little, I have a little nephew who's nine or eight, and they're telling me about something called TikTok. Oh, so yeah. there's always something new. I'm telling you, YouTube's are very popular with kids who are 10, 8, and 10 years old. And get on that TikTok no, account. Dr. D is huge into TikTok. Oh, my God. <laughs> I tick and talk all day. I love it. Miles loves TikTok. He's always I t- think it's called TikTok. I, <laughs> my nephew's yeah, I know what you're talking little, about. Yeah. Uh, t- come on, man. He's hip. Okay? He hangs out with Generation Z types. All right. Now, um, uh, 
enough talk on uh, on Facebook. I must ask you uh, about Mayor Rahm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been accused by some people who've been sitting in that seat that I've been mean to him and unfair to him. Uh, my good friend Tom McNamee may have said that. Ken Davis may have said. Other people have said I've been unfair to him. Uh, uh, and um, uh, Mayor Rahm himself has... Uh, been going on a uh, tour of sorts mm-hmm. to, to talk about how he was at the city club yesterday. He was at the city club yesterday. Um, so, uh, D, we got we got any of that stuff we could play for Romana so it's fresh in her head and get her thoughts on what she thinks about Mayor Rahm. Uh, Mayor Rahm's little speech about how he inherited all the problems of the city. Absolutely. Here's Rahm talking about the South and West Side. Let's be honest, guys. Did the problems on the South and West Side start in 2011? Okay, Mayor Rahm, the problems on the south and west side. Did they start in uh, 2011? I inherited all this stuff. Oh, Andy is what he is, all right? Oh, yeah. I am who I am. <laughs> that, that's when he started Bye-bye. talking about him losing his finger yeah. in Arby's. Like that is kind of changed his life. Changed his life. And so, um, yeah, that's... Uh, all right, so when you hear all that, uh, Ramana, do you think... I mean, And not just me, uh, Fran Spielman, uh, the great uh, Sun-Times City Hall reporter, host of the Fran Spielman Show right here in the Sun-Times Network, wrote a con- an article, I think it was on Tuesday, I want to say. Did you edit that one? She actually, she wrote it up last late last week i actually saw the first version of it because she i thought it was supposed to go last week and we you know we obviously saved it it was in the can um it went through a couple ed- edits but i did read it i okay. did read it when it first uh when she first wrote it it was a very powerful piece it ran whatever it ran tuesday or monday i can't remember when uh and it was critical of mayor Rahm. so some people said she was unfair to mayor Rahm. So. i mean she gave him an a for being making tough decisions <laughs> she gave him the a on, on and the then other she gave him an f, f. For, <laughs> Effort on collaboration yeah. and talking to people and, you know, kind of asking jerk. them and asking them their opinions and, instead of ramming down what he wants mm-hmm. down their throats. All right. So, uh, so what I do you think? I don't think she was unfair. I think, I, I mean, I thought it was interesting that she was talking to Alderman Moore, who was, you know, who just lost the elections about, and he was someone that, you know, cozied up to Rom after defying, you know, the mayor so i thought that was pretty interesting that she was quoting him <laughs> so and he was just basically kind of confirming what she was saying yeah so it, i thought it was interesting i don't i don't think she was really being unfair mm-hmm. and I, I i you know we heard rumors that he was going to be basically ripping on on fr- the story that fran wrote at the city club yesterday but it didn't sound like he did really he said i am i am at fault for being impatient so i think he's taking He's accepting some of it. So I don't I don't think she was being unfair. And this is I'm someone who is like, I, you know, you got to look at I don't just like hate Rom for no reason. But I do try to look, try to. No, you have reasons him. for hating. No, him. I know. And <laughs> I know. Kidding. I know. I know the criticism is valid. <laughs> but sometimes, you know, I'm like, well, let's look at it. Like, you know, he saw the CSO problem. Yeah. <laughs> OK. So, there we go. <laughs> do you think so? No, I'm just laughing because I, yeah. I, I can tell oh, you that God. I I didn't read the story. I, I yeah. saw I saw, you know, the day when we met last week, like, you know, when I went back to my desk and Right before I was leaving work, David Roeder, who's a colleague of mine at the Sun-Times. David Roeder. He just He's came back, back after yeah. being gone for a couple of years. Um, uh-huh. He wrote the story and how yes. they, they, you know, they reached an agreement. Uh-huh. And then it was Rom's office that put out a statement. He couldn't get either side in the beginning, but we did get the press release. And then a couple of days ago, I think both sides credited the mayor yeah. with helping. So I, 
You are so, look at that laugh so of saying it all. She doesn't believe any of it. No, I was just, uh, I didn't even read that story. Um, my husband, Mick, did, and he was telling me, he goes, oh, they're both, both sides are crediting him. I'm like, are you sure? And he said, yeah, that's what the story, that's what your story says. Yeah, that's what the Sun-Times, yeah, you don't read what's in your paper? So, um, and so I, I think Fran was pretty fair. Yeah. I think, you know, she had quotes to, you know, she had one of his allies saying all this stuff. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah. You know, it was basically saying that he was tone deaf. I think even people who tone deaf to other people's opinions and views, I think other people who are fans of Rom would like Joe Moore would agree to a certain extent. I'm just letting you know, right before I came here, I edited a column by Mary Mitchell and she's uh, she's praising him because I think he had one million dollars left in his campaign fund and he's dedicating it he's giving it away to all these youth groups oh that's good to either groups that he started or (laughs) groups that he ended up supporting so I'm just letting you know so Mary wrote this um, nice glowing column I just posted it so you might want to take a look at it Rom has his fans and and, uh, he was getting emotional in that in the column in the interview she interviewed him okay yeah he's getting emotional a lot Um, he's leaving office he's getting very emotional but you don't think they're real tears right uh, uh, well you know uh, no and i don't think you do either i um here's the deal the the he gave a speech yesterday uh at the um or the city club as you pointed out where he talked about um how there, he feels that there's an urgency in his life uh to accomplish whatever it is that he wants to accomplish because he realizes that um time on earth is limited i'm paraphrasing Mm -hmm. what he said and he he said he came to that realization uh at a very early age at what was Mm -hmm. 17 or 18 when he had an accident he cut off part of his finger uh and uh, he almost died Mm -hmm. and so when you're young and you come have face to face with death you realize that um time is ticking away constantly Mm -hmm. and so you have to get things done so as a theme as an explanation mm-hmm. for how he behaves, I can buy that. That's, I can too. Yeah. He said that. He said that. I guess when he was in the hospital, and you know, was worse than you think he would. Um, he, he said that he uh, the two or three people that were in the shared the room with him died. Like that's what he said. Yes. Yeah. So it. I, I. I believe it too. Yeah. So I believe it. So then you have to say, okay, well, if 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 you if you're facing the notion that time is limited. And you only have a certain amount of time on earth and you have to rank. What are you going to accomplish with your life? Would you put at the top of the list closing mental health no, clinics? or closing and, Chicago public schools on the west Schools on the west side. No. I mean, would you put that? Number one, I only have a limited amount of time, Romana, <laughs> and people are killing each other in the south and the west sides and they're losing their minds over violence. I know what I'll do. I'll close mental health clinics. No, you have a valid point. That is... <laughs> This is definitely valid. I think I think part of his reason for going on the tour is like, you know, he could have lashed out at that article, but he probably realizes if he lashed out at the article that the friend wrote, he, everybody would have been like, oh, so it's exactly what he yeah. says he's not. So he's trying to he's trying to come out with, you know, there's reasons why I act certain ways. And I'm not as bad as everybody thinks yeah. I am. And, you know, I think bringing up the, the accident is a, is probably a touch that he thought about, yeah. you know, so. But he's done this from time to time. I don't know if you recall, 2015, put the sweater on for the commercial. Do you remember that? Yeah, what the was commercial? the commercial for? It was a commercial for his reelection. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he was down in the polls, or you know, so they said, Rom, nobody likes you. Everybody thinks you're a so jerk. So he thought the sweater on. Yeah, he put the sweater that, on. And what, 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 
What kind of sweater was it? That's it was like, a cardigan. I don't know. You know, I'm not good with clothes, but because people think he's like Mr. Rogers if he wears yeah, a cardigan. Yeah, I was right. So. You know, I, and then people. Think, but it's more that he's more down to earth rather than if he's wearing like a jacket or something. I guess I think a larger point here. When uh, I talk about uh, Rahm Emanuel and his eight years of the lessons of Rahm. And uh, so, you know, one of the things that um, uh, <laughs> I share with your husband, McDumkey, we talk about this a lot, um, is that Rahm has a believability problem. Yeah, uh, people I think People just he don't too. believe he's sincere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, he's the one who helped put that out there with that cynical... Uh, Remember that his refrain, a crisis, you shouldn't, you know, always exploit a crisis, et cetera, et cetera. So nobody, like when he says A, the instinct that everybody has is, yeah. what's he really angling I mean, he's a, he's a politician and a lot of them have the b- believability factor, but I think he, you know, some politicians are able to get that, you know, personality or the charisma that people believe in, even if they know that they're lying. But I think people with Rom, I don't think he had that. I don't, th- I think he kind of lacked a certain kind of charm that would have people believe him. So when you view uh, Lori Lightfoot coming in as mayor and you see Rom walking out the door, what would you like, what lessons do you, would you like to, uh, Lori Lightfoot to uh, apply that you may have learned from Rom? Like things I, she should I, I do differently. I think what Fran said is like listening to people, listening to the community and not thinking you're above what the community is asking for. I mean, negotiations. And I'm sure, you know, Lori knows this too. She's been you know, part of the system for a while. So I, I think, I think, didn't they have like some sort of, did, I think Rom did give her some advice in on the Fran show. I forgot what exactly step-by-step what that was, but he did have some, I think he said, I think one of the things I do remember he said was when you want something, you have to give something back. You know, that's what he said. Rom said that? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> like when you negotiate with the aldermen and, you know, on different deals, like, you know, and you want them to do something, you have to make sure you're, helping them too. I think that from what I remember, because I remember editing that story too, but that was a couple of weeks ago. Well, there was something else. It was, uh, it was a funny little uh, uh, to-do in the uh, Sun-Times today. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, it has to do, we'll see, uh, Lightfoot sees no conflict, uh, says Ferguson. So this is Lori Lightfoot. By the way, we, we know that it's a changing of the guard. Lots of mayor like Lori Lightfoot stories uh, in today's Sun-Times and in the paper. It's almost May 20th um, when she's inaugurated. Yeah, and... Um, uh, and so, yeah, it's right around the corner. And uh, so Lightfoot expressed frustration with Mayor Rahm's decision to forge ahead with a pilot program to test electric scooters in Chicago. Oh, yeah. And uh, and she said, quote, this is the article, a France Spielman article. It's a project that I have not been briefed on. Nobody asked my opinion about it. They certainly haven't provided me with information, which I think they should. And then the next paragraph, the Emanuel administration denied the charge and released a series of emails that appear to show her transition team was briefed about and signed off on on the scooter pilot. Oh, I didn't know. <laughs> Quote, we are okay with it moving forward. Lightfoot transition advisor, Sylvia Garcia. Oops. Oops. <laughs> Oops. So I'll tell you what, Mayor Rahm, he still knows how to play the media yeah. game. Yeah. Oh, for sure. That was pretty smart. Uh, uh, anyway, all right, uh, Romana Hussein, I've kept you here long enough. It's the Romana Rundown uh, every uh, Friday on the Ben Jarofsky Show. We don't have our T-shirts yet, but we're going to get those T-shirts, right, Dee? Come on, where are the T-shirts? <laughs> Our, we my, got the McNamee hat in order, so it should oh. be coming pretty soon. We're All right, for the no, Romana shirt. The Romana t-shirt. All right, uh, Romana, thanks so much. Have a great weekend. Thank you. You have a good weekend, too. And see you next Friday. Uh, Alderwoman Rosanna Rodriguez-Sanchez is in the building somewhere. We're going to find her and bring her on right after this.
Hey there, producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel, or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download the Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky Shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for The Ben Jarovsky Show. J-O-R-A. V as in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. Everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U-E-L-P-I-A-N-I-S-T dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. Well, Jeff Manuel, what a pianist that guy is. All right, hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Friday, May 3rd is moments away. But before we get into that, we would like to thank the following unions again for bringing back the Ben Jarofsky show. First up, it's the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, not Aerosmith, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Thank you once again to those unions for jumping on board with us here on the Ben Jarofsky show. And, of course, today's show is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. Thank goodness it is Friday, May 3rd, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. 
In this hour of the program, we welcome 33rd Ward Alderwoman Rosanna Rodriguez-Sanchez and political strategist Lori Glenn. And now your host, not a newly elected alderman. <laughs> nope. The last thing we want, people. <laughs> Chicago sure. Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Yes, indeed. We're going to call her 13 Votes Rosanna. Rosanna <laughs> Rodriguez-Sanchez won. Hey, 13 votes is the same as 13,000 votes. Take it. We'll take it. <laughs> She'll take it. She beat Deb Mel uh, and the Mel machine. Uh, Deb Mel claims there is no more machine. But whatever. She uh, is the new alderwoman in the 33rd Ward. She's sitting right here. Appreciate she uh, fought her way through that maze to get to our little studio. And uh, we're going to for the bathrooms, right? Yeah, just find follow the, the signs of the bathrooms. You, got, you're almost there. Alderwoman Rosanna Rodriguez Sanchez sitting right here. We're going to bring her on. But first, D, you got an update? Absolutely, I do. A couple of updates here right now on both Facebook and Ben Jarofsky, or Facebook and Twitter pages for the Ben Jarofsky Show. It's the latest Chicago Reader column from our very own Ben Jarofsky. The article is titled "Mayor Rom versus Robert Caro." Mm. Ben Jarofsky, tell us what people will learn when reading your article. Oh yes, see, uh, as Mayor Rom uh, runs out the door, he is sort of reinventing everything about himself. We talked about this uh, with Romana Hussein, talk about this a lot. I'm curious what Rosanna Rodriguez-Sanchez has to say about all this. Uh, but uh, Mayor Rahm wrote this column about a week ago in The Atlantic uh, talking about uh, giving advice to journalists, which I had a hard time taking, uh, considering how rude he was to journalists uh, and how un- unresponsive he was to journalists throughout his eight years, uh, particularly when they would come looking for information, uh, duck and dodge and evade and distort and mislead and uh, avoid the questions by insulting them or making fun. What's that you always say about Mayor Rahm? Oh, he's smart, you're not. Right, so the lesson I hope, I just ask uh, uh, Romana what lesson she hoped Lori Lightfoot uh, uh, would learn from Rahm, and one would be just to be more respectful of people, people who maybe, you know, they may not be, have your uh, stature in life, they may not be all powerful, well-to-do people who are uh, running cities of Chicago, but you should try to listen to people, learn from them, and hear other ideas, within reason. I would think that would be a lesson uh, you could learn uh, the mayor Lightfoot that you could learn if it, it trying not to do what Rom did. Uh, and in particular, I took the opportunity uh, to highlight a gentleman named Robert Carroll. And folks, I urge everybody to read Working if you're into uh, politics or if you're into journalism. Uh, Robert Carroll is a journalist who specializes in long investigations into powerful people. Robert Moses, the, uh, the power broker who uh, built New York City in the 50s and the 60s, uh, and Lyndon Johnson. Uh, Robert Carroll has spent years and years and years of his life going through every single piece of paper to try to find out the truth behind how powerful people manipulate the power that they have to change the lives of millions of ordinary people. And so it's just very, to me, as a, a journalist who's been working all these years, Robert Caro is sort of a hero uh, of mine. So I used uh, the op- took the opportunity to contrast Mayor Rahm giving advice to journalists after he thwarted their attempts to find anything out what was going on in the city of Chicago or attempted to from learn anything was going on in the city of Chicago with Robert Carroll, who's dedicated his life uh, to telling and, and revealing the truth. So if you're listening right now and you think, man, I'd really like to read that article, go check it out. It's on the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, on both Facebook and Twitter. Ben, just in case, spell that last name for him. J-O-R. 
A. V as in victory, S-K-Y. That's a crazy one, am I right, listeners? But hey, go check out that article after today's program, all right? Rosanna Rodriguez-Sanchez is about to kill it here on our on our program. So just after that, go check it out. We do have a Trump update, actually, here. Ooh. During their hour-long phone conversation this morning, President Trump discussed the Mueller report with Russian President Vladimir Putin. Well, that is according to the White House. Here's White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders. They spoke about uh, North Korea for a a good bit of time on the call and uh, reiterated both the commitment and the need for denuclearization. And the president um, said several times uh, on this front as well, the need and importance of Russia stepping up and continuing to help uh, and put pressure on North Korea to denuclearize. And that was again the question about making <laughs> the reporters speaking to reporters at the White House. The president also recounted uh, his hour-long phone conversation with Vladimir and said the following of his Russian counterpart's reaction to the Mueller report. He actually sort of smiled. Did Vladimir Putin when he said something to the effect that it that it started off as a mountain and ended up being a mouse? I had a very good talk with President Putin, probably over an hour. Trump added, "We talked about many things." The president confirmed the political unrest in Venezuela was among the topics discussed between the two leaders, but he curiously said that Putin, quote, is not looking at all to get involved in Venezuela other than he would like to see something positive happen. All right. I don't believe anything (laughs) comes out of Donald Trump's mouth uh, when it comes, well, pretty much to anything, but definitely when it comes to Putin, Putin probably said, called him up and said, hey, boy, do this and the other thing because I'm the boss. And Donald Trump said, yes, sir. Anyway, that's what I think happened on that telephone call. All right, let's uh, enough of Donald Trump. Alderwoman Rosanna Rodriguez Sanchez, 33rd Ward, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And uh, yes, and 13 votes. <laughs> First of all, let's just folks know the 33rd Ward. Tell folks where the 33rd Ward is in the city of Chicago. Uh, the 33rd Ward is south of Foster Avenue um, and north of Diversity Avenue. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the west is kind of all gerrymandered. So it's, it's a little messy, but mostly along Ketsy Avenue. Um, and then in the east is uh, west of the river. So it goes along the river. So it's like the near northwest side mm-hmm. of the city of Chicago. and uh, it, Albany Park, Irving oh, Park, uh, Avondale, and Ravenswood Manor. Yes, and for years and years and years, uh, well, at least for the last 20 years or so, uh, the Mel family has been the powerhouse in that area, Alderman Richard Mel, and then he handed the seat off to Deb Mel, his daughter. She was reelected in 2015. And you uh, ran this time around 13 votes in the, you took it to a runoff and then it was uh, 13 votes. Talk about that. I mean, uh, just wow, 13 votes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, One of the things that has been um, the most incredible of this whole process is to think about every shift and every door that was knocked Mm -hmm. and how essential each of the people who work in the campaign were because when you win by 13 votes, every one of those conversations matters, right? Like the other day I was thinking about this day when I went out and it was so cold and it was raining and I just wanted to go back home. <laughs> but that day in that, in that shift, I probably talked to six people and I needed to talk to those six people in order to win the race. And those are things that you don't necessarily know at that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the process, you just, 
it every every vote counts and every conversation counts and every moment that you spend campaigning mm-hmm. counts. Absolutely, and you know it's funny. I should tell you this, uh, Rosanna. Uh, we had on the show uh, about three weeks ago. We had these um, a couple of uh, Bernie Sanders uh, supporters came on the show. And I just thought of them as Bernie Sanders supporters, and we were talking, and one of them, Drew, what was his name, do you remember Drew? Yeah, yeah, Drew Dezingas. Drew Dezingas, and it revealed that he worked for Deb Mel in the campaign. He was here talking about Bernie Sanders and uh, and the presidential race. I, I did not even know he worked for Deb Mel, and he said something. He goes, you know what? I don't know if you know the name, but whatever, he was working for Deb Mel. He said, I'm not joking, he goes, those guys, out organized us they outworked us. i give game recognizes game is what he said <laughs> and he tipped his hat so the mel crowd like they said um these lefties are no joke uh they learned the game so you you guys did learn the yeah political game. i mean um in 2015 we ran team megan we were part of the team megan campaign mm-hmm. Um, Tim Megan was a history teacher at Roosevelt High School, and he was the first person that decided to challenge the Mel machine, the dynasty. Um, and we were down with him. Like the things that he was talking about in his platform was um, mirror everything that we wanted uh, in, in in a representative for for our neighborhoods. So we rallied around him, and we knew absolutely nothing about how to run an, elector- an electoral campaign. Like we were all activists. Um, we have we had work in a lot of different issues from you know moratorium and charter schools to um, immigration, immigrant rights, um, but we didn't know how to run an electoral campaign, and um, and we learned we had a boost a, a shoestring campaign. We this, didn't... Is, this is what you learned under Tim Megan, or is this what you learned this time around? No, this so under Tim Megan we learned how to run an electoral campaign, mm-hmm. and we did really well. We ended up seventeen votes away from a runoff with Deb Mel. And uh, wow, once again, 17 it was votes. 17 votes away from a runoff. And uh, there was a lot of electioneering. In, like <laughs> the it was, Mel's. It yeah. was it was that yeah. that election was completely insane. Mm-hmm. And people who were around, like when they think about it this time around, I think people had PTSD and they were so scared that we were going to lose because the people who were around for the Tim Megan campaign were like, they can steal this. They can steal no, this, you know you what know? I remember from that Tim Megan campaign? And correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, it looked as though Megan was going to be in a runoff, and all of a sudden, these votes from a, a nursing a home. Nursing home, yeah. Right? I mean, where these things come from? <laughs> that's what happened. And so, <laughs> so then, um, what we decided to do was to organize ourselves as an IPO in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. and we became 33rd Ward Working Families. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we started working around issues that were important to us, right? Immigration, for example, we started doing immigration defense. We started going with people down downtown to immigration court, um, making sure that we could support families that were losing somebody to a deportation, connecting them with legal aid. We put the item of uh, rent control, the lift demand on rent control on the ballot, and we won. We knocked a lot of doors with that, the moratorium and charter schools. Um, and that way, we started training canvassers we started training volunteers that were really interested in these issues that were not just you know coming around because they wanted a political job but people that were actually really invested Mm -hmm. in making change so when you start building that you start building interest you start tracing a concrete plan that people can get active around then you're gonna have people there that are going to be with you right? right So we started building that four years ago. And at some point, I think there was an interview with Deb Mel 
I think it was actually the Sun Times that uh, asked her why she was in such a tight race, and she said, "Well, they have never started stop running. Yeah. They have been running for four years." And, I, and we were like, "Yeah." <laughs> I mean, we didn't know who we were going to run, but as an organization, we were active for four years building this, and this is the result, right? Now let me ask you this. Uh, so you mentioned that uh, you uh, were you were participated in Tim Megan's campaign that came within 17 votes of uh, having a runoff. Uh, if it were me, and and this is I've never run for office, never sat in office, Rosanna. So I, I'm not like a typical politician because <laughs> I've never been one. But right. if it were me, and I barely won re-election, I would call Tim Megan. And I would call Rosanna, and I would call the key members of Tim Megan's game. And what can I do to win you over? What would you like to see me do? If if, if I'm Deb Mel, that's what I would I would say. What can I do because you almost beat me, and I'm gonna I'm gonna learn my lesson from having barely won. Now that's me talking. Uh, <laughs> did Deb that, Mel ever they, attempt to do that? No, and I think they really underestimated what we were capable of. I, I really think so, um, because, I, I mean, the end result was that we won by 13 votes, but we won. But it was clear in the election in February also mm-hmm. that we were leading, right? Um, yeah, I think I think they underestimated how organized we were and, and, and wow. the work that we have been doing for the last four years. And um, so... You are now. You're considered. Are you an actual member of the Democratic Socialists? Yes. Uh, okay. Uh, so did they attempt? Because they keep talking about the six Democratic Socialists that are coming into the council, uh-huh. and I'm not even sure if all of them are quote unquote Democratic. So I mean, we had Jeanette Taylor in here the other day, and I'm not even sure she's in the Doesn't she, even. She's a member she's of a the member SA. Now. She okay. recently joined. Yeah. She recently joined. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so she, some are more recent than others. Anyway. Yes. So did uh, did Deb Mel and her daddy uh, try to use that against you? They try to scare people. <laughs> Uh, into saying, don't vote for this lady. That was, that was the last the last two weeks. The last two or three weeks of campaigning, it became a lot about a lot of red baiting. And it was, it, it was, it was really interesting. Um, they started looking at her campaign, mm-hmm. started looking at profiles of people who were affiliated with the SA um, and using pictures of their personal Facebook profiles and then claiming that they were our top advisors or that they were on staff for us, which was not true. Um, it, Yeah, uh, calling us communist. Um, communist. Yeah, trying to establish a difference between, for example, Ale- Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Bernie Sanders and me. That was one of the main status where they, they said, this is not Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez or Bernie Sanders. This is something else. <laughs> like, like I have power to like come into office and I don't know, municipalize everybody's house or something. I don't, I don't know exactly what they yeah, were like trying Fidel to Castro. make people yeah. think. Like I, it, yeah. So in other words, they, well, this is interesting. So, uh, so this is the distinctions they make between lefties. So yes. uh, Ocasio-Cortez is okay. Bernie Sanders is okay. Not Rosanna. But, yeah, Rosanna <laughs> is something to be feared. Yes. And 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 that was something that I learned during the I I am I have never been a politician. I have been a community organizer. I have been an activist for a very long time. Um so I, I was a little bit new to to politics, to electoral politics. And it was it was pretty interesting to me that 
the male camp was most of the negative messaging was about instilling fear in people. Most of the mailers that they sent about me was about how I wanted to defund the police, which was super interesting because what we were trying to put forward was um, an, an idea of safety that was not punitive, but that focused more on public health, that focused more on mental health, that focused more on restorative justice and um, resources, right? Like we need good jobs if we want people to be safe. We need to work on housing if we want people to be safe. Um, but but the mailers were all about she wants to her her plan is to bring more crime you know she yeah. wants to bring more crime <laughs> to, that's yeah, an that. interesting p- platform oh this person's in favor of crime <laughs> yeah so so most most of the most of the points against us were about instilling fear and we were trying to do the opposite we were trying to to invite people to to want to envision a community in which we take care of each other right that we're not we're not scared of our neighbors. We organize with them. We knock on their doors and we and we put together deportation defense networks, you know, yeah. so that we can protect our neighbors from ICE. Like, this is the neighborhood that I want to live in. And I, and I think that it resonated a lot with a lot of people. Um, there's a lot of people who have been disenfranchised and they either couldn't vote or didn't vote because they don't feel part of the process. And I think that a big part of our work in these next four years is going to be to invite those people um, and, and continue to grow uh, that vision. And, and uh, so did you ever have anybody come up to you and directly ask you, uh, do you want to defund police? Do you want to cut police? Uh, did, did people... Did, did, did voters direct that to you? Uh, voters as voters came to my office a few times um, to meet and greet and ask me what what did that mean that they received this mailer saying that I wanted to defund the police. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. And I and I broke down like this is how much we spend in policing from from our operation uh, operating budget. This is how much we spend in policing. This is how much we spend in police settlements, and then. This is how much we spend in violence prevention, which is a, a tiny fraction of what we spend in policing, right? So if we're serious about making sure that we have a safe society, a safe city, then we cannot say that we are trying to keep people safe when the only thing that we're doing is funding the police, but not violence prevention programs, not public health um, programs, not putting uh, resources like social workers and counselors in every school and nurses, right? Like nobody that is homeless is safe. Like how, what, how, what is the framework that we're using to define safety, right? And I think that that was the, that was the, the difference that I was trying to establish. Like safety for a lot of people don't mean policing. I have a lot of undocumented neighbors. Mm-hmm. They don't feel safe by bringing more police into our neighborhood, right? They feel safe when they know that they have resources, that their children can continue to go to a school, that they're not going to be displaced, mm-hmm. right? So at I, the same time, everybody when they call nine eleven wants the police to show up, right? And the, but the police has has resources, right? I think that it, it is about how we are using those resources and, I, and one of the things that comes up over and over when you talk to police commanders at caps meetings is that a lot of people call the police for things that you shouldn't be calling the police like mental health emergencies for example why are we calling the police to deal with a mental health emergency our prisons are full of people that have a, a, a mental health problem why don't we have resources to address specifically mental health issues why? Mm-hmm. So then we overburden the police, right? 
with with things that shouldn't be yes. under the police if we want like a safer society so um so that's an example of how i think that we are misusing um, the police resources because i mean it's almost almost 40 percent of our operating budget is going to policing um but we but people don't feel safer yeah. so so then we need to rethink this we need right? to rethink things things aren't working maybe we should rethink things a little exactly. bit exactly uh and uh, so enough people were convinced by you because again you, it wasn't a resounding uh <laughs> uh man man to get 13 votes more but you know what 13 votes is 13 votes uh and uh, so now you're about two weeks away uh, uh rosanna from being uh, ushered in or being uh, uh sworn in i should say uh as the ottoman of the 33rd Ward, and you'll be sworn in along with uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Um, we've been talking a lot on the show today in the last few days about Mayor Rahm's legacy, and uh, so I presume that you are not a supporter of Mayor Rahm. Am, am no. I safe to make that assumption? You're very so? safe. I'm okay. really glad that he's not the mayor anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Uh, so what would you, what lessons, this is the questions I've asking everybody, what lessons would you like Mayor uh, Lightfoot to uh, learn from what Rahm did and how he did it over the last you know eight years as she uh, heads into power at City Hall? Um, Democracy, I think, is important. I think that uh, Mayor Rahm Emanuel um, run, run city council in very undemocratic ways. Um, so I would really love for, for our new mayor to rethink the ways in which um, city council works. Um, you know, appointing chairs and... <laughs> It, it that it, that would be like a really big deal if we were able to make decisions more democratically. I would love to see a shift um, in terms of the neoliberal policies that we saw with Ram Emanuel, all the agenda of privatization and um, closing schools and mental health clinics. Um, I would really like to see more investment in public services um, and perhaps like a more respectful <laughs> approach to um, everybody. You were mentioning the press, but I think that also with the activist community and, you know, um, everybody in Chicago who is trying to do their work, right? Be it being a journalist or taking an issue very seriously, like the people from No Cop Academy or CPAC, um, these people sometimes put their lives on the line in order to make sure that they are fighting for what they think is right and they deserve respect. And I think that um, they were not afforded that from the mayor. Mm -hmm. And so just a basic, uh, how you deal with other people. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and has Lori Lightfoot called you? Has she reached out to not you? Not yet. Uh, I have a, we were all invited to a luncheon um, that is taking place next week. So I imagine that I'm going to meet her there. Okay, uh, very good. Uh, Rosanna Rodriguez-Sanchez is my guest in the studio. We're going to take a, a brief break and we'll be right back with more political talk. Commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed. Lori Glenn has joined us in the studio. Lori Glenn, an old friend of mine, political strategist. Uh, she always gets mad when I say this. I'm going to say it anyway. She's kind of the brains behind the opposition to Lincoln. No, Ben, there were other people. <laughs> give them credit. I get all these emails in the middle of the night from Lori Glenn. She doesn't sleep. Ben, you didn't give this one credit. You didn't that one. Man, Rosanna, you don't know what this girl does to me. Anyway, Lori Glenn, an old friend of mine. She's really shrewd, a smart person. We're going to be talking politics in the city of Chicago. The lessons learned from Lincoln Yards, 
I'm probably do some presidential talk with Lori Glenn because she knows a thing or two about presidential politics. And her good friend, Rahm Emanuel, he's walking out the door. <laughs> Lori and Rahm go way back. They do go way back. She's really happy he's walking out the door, though. Uh, he's doing his Gloria Gaynor and walking out that door. Uh, but, Rosanna, I know you have to get back to your day job. So before I let you go to do your day job, can I let you leave? Uh, we've been talking local politics. This is a little presidential politics. We're gearing up for that 2020 campaign. I see it just in the horizon. It's Iowa. Um, you told me uh, during the break you were for Bernie in 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what are you feeling now? What vibe are you feeling as we head uh, into the presidential well, it, it, it is clear that um, the establishment is trying to wash its face again and trying to bring like fresh faces and play you know, with identity in order to make sure that, um, that they can maintain the status quo that we have had for a very long time. I am excited about Bernie. I think that we can push him um, in some in some policies a little bit more um and i'm excited to do that but uh i think the only candidate that consistently resonates with my own politics is is bernie so yeah that's where my heart is and joe biden doesn't nope (laughs) okay nope how do you get the question out (laughs) Uh, i didn't even get the question out she said nope Uh, all right well this is a question i was i was having fun with this the other day Uh, were you did you vote for obama were you an obama supporter i i was not here i i am from puerto rico and puerto ricans can vote for the president so of course they can so so don't duck and touch i I couldn't vote for obama no uh but did you were you a supporter of his uh general programs the way he ran the um i I was excited when he first ran as the first black president Mm -hmm. um i think that um his politics and their uh, his policies ended up being like really damaging to a lot of people, particularly immigrants. Um, and and in terms of um, it, it the, the, his government was as imperialist as many others, right? So I, you know, the way that a lot of countries were treated um, and bombed under his presidency, like I can't I can't say that I'm proud of his presidency either. So in other words, is the sort of the joke we've been having. Uh, over the last couple of days, Joe Biden came out with a commercial in which uh, you hear Obama's voice extolling Joe Biden's virtues. And so then I asked my guests, I play that, and then I asked my guests, well, you hear Obama saying nice things about Biden. Is that influencing you to vote? Uh, for, I could see much of your answers. The answer would be no, because you didn't think much of Obama to begin with. Nope. <laughs> Did you buy Michelle Obama's book? No. Okay. <laughs> Did you wait in line at the United Center to get it? Uh, anyway, all right, so you're sticking with Bernie. Uh, any, who's your second favorite, then? I'll ask you um, Definitely Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> Um, so yeah, if it's not Bernie, I I am really digging <laughs> Elizabeth Warren's uh, policies. So yeah. All right, very good. I know you have to go somewhere. I, I wish you could stick around because we were talking about the Lincoln Yards TIFF deal, and I know you're listening, listening to that. You were very much opposed to that. Uh, yep. So was Deb Mel during the campaign, and then when it but came, then she voted. <laughs> Come on, Deb. Uh, anyway, uh, thank you so much for stopping in. We'll bring you back uh, as uh, your tenure unfolds, and we'll be talking about all the issues of the day. I would love right? All right, very good. Uh, that is uh, Rosanna Rodriguez-Sanchez, uh, the newly elected alderman, alderwoman of the 33rd Ward. D, you got an update for me? Absolutely, I do. Rosanna was awesome. we got to bring her back. Oh, Ben wants a picture. Yeah, we- 
Been, been, oh, look at that. We're taking a picture there. All right, everybody. Hold on. All right. Got the guest picture? All right. There we go. Ben, put that on your Instagram. Oh, yeah. There we go. Because I'm a millennial. Ben's the one in charge of our Instagram page. How many, uh, how many likes we got on Instagram, by the way? Uh, yeah, I forgot. At least 42. 42. <laughs> At right. least. We're working on up there. We're working on up there. Uh, ben, do you happen... Okay. Do we happen to have that list of uh, presidential uh, 2020 uh, Democratic cheat candidates? Sheet? Yes, yeah, you your cheat sheet? Yeah, I got it right here. All right. Well, we have one more to add. So if oh, you could just... No. Uh, list off list off the names you got thus far all right okay these are the names there's a lot of names and i'm not going to pronounce them all correctly um, that's what we like you for bernie sanders kamala harris beto o'rourke pete Buttigieg, uh elizabeth warren amy klobuchar cory booker kirsten gillibrand andrew yang jay inslee john hickenlooper tulsi gabbard john delaney marianne williamson julian castro wayne messam seth moulton eric the dude from california whose name i don't last well saw the dude from California. Uh, Michael Bennett, not the football player, but nope. the senator from Colorado. And Jolton Joe Biden and Tim Ryan. There you Always go. Always forget Tim Ryan. All right, grab your pin and add one more name uh -oh. here. It looks like here, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio is expected to announce he is running for president next week. You know, I'm not... I, 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 He's been in Iowa a lot. Uh, anything to get out of New York City goes to Iowa. Uh, so put a question mark there by de Blasio. Yeah, it looks I'm, like he may be running next I, week. I can't believe he's running. Uh, I'll, I'll ask uh, Lori Glenn what her thoughts about that are a little later. I, I just don't see it in the... It says here, the announcement, yeah. according to the paper, could come as early as de Blasio's 58th birthday on Wednesday. Wow. Apparently, there's no better gift to give oneself than telling yourself you could be president. A <laughs> spokesperson for de Blasio's political action committee told the Daily News no decision has been made, but he also did not deny de Blasio's plans. So yeah. we well, may have I, de Blasio look forward to here. Wow. I I just can't see de Blasio's path to victory. Isn't that the operatives, uh, Lori Glenn, always say? You have to have a path to victory. Isn't that what the operatives and strategists always say? I do not see. Put on your strategist hat, Lori. And do you see a path to victory for Bill de Blasio? Um, he would first have to have a path uh to victory in New York City, and <laughs> that has not been happening from what I understand. Yeah. So he doesn't have his base, his city loving him. Um, actually, my boyfriend's son is an organizer in New York, and he's not happy, happy at all with Mr. Bill. He uh, actually had made a commitment on some massive affordable housing there. Mm -hmm. He reneged on it recently. So I think that this man has, you know, he should take care of his home. Yeah, I uh, and I'm not sure he can run for re-election. I think he's maybe uh, term limited out. I can't remember if it's two or three in in New York. It was two. Then they passed an exemption that they enabled um, Bloomberg to run for a third term. I don't know if it went back to two. I would need Frank. Frank, our lister out there who knows everything about everything, may weigh in on that one. Where are you at, Frank? Come on. Uh, but yeah, but anyway, De Blasio. It, it, it he he ran as a progressive. Uh, and he was going to be the, the anti-ROM uh, mayor of New York. And then he be, kind of went in the ROM direction as mayor of New York. Uh, and he ran, you know, he had the battles with Governor uh, Cuomo of New York. Uh, Cuomo was more the centrist and, and de Blasio uh, was the leftist. And they kind of merged at some point. So I don't see his, his no, path. I'd, I'd rather talk about Mayor Pete. Oh, wow. You're Mayor Pete supporter. I would say I find him really interesting. 
I mean, I always love Bernie, of course. I have an email from him for the work I did when I was with Chewy, and that was great. He It does his own work. He's exactly who he seems to be. We needed, he was endorsing Chewy uh, for Congress, and I thought I was going to be dealing with some staffer. Next thing you know, I've got Bernie Sanders emailing me. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Bernie himself? Bernie himself. And did so you Bernie emails me and goes, great statement. Just make sure you put it on my campaign letterhead. And then I'm like, I I had to ask him about which letterhead. And I'm like, going back and forth, do I ask Bernie Sanders like some staffer question? And I go, I just got to know. So I do. And he goes, yeah, that's just fine. Good luck. Wait, like, by the way, I like how you imitate Bernie while reading the email he wrote. It's not a bad Bernie imitation. Lori Glenn. Pretty good. Can, can you do a Don Rickles? Uh, uh, but uh, so you were a Bernie person in 2016, and now you're thinking of Pete Buttigieg? Well, I just think that what I. There's just so many choices right out there right now. But what I'm looking for, I think, as many people are, is authenticity, which is a word that doesn't sound authentic when you say it. But um, I love Elizabeth Warren um, as the alder woman to be elect said recent just now Mm -hmm. but i don't know if she can do it like the pathway to winning because what i want is someone to go in there and beat donald trump Mm -hmm. you know the idea of four more years of his destroying our democracy on a daily basis through deregulation through his appointments through everything they're doing is it's horrifying all right. By the way, I don't know if I, uh, people may just tuning in. Lori Glenn is my guest, political strategist uh, in here in the city of Chicago. We're going to get to Lincoln Yards debate uh, discussion uh, because Lori was so important uh, in the fight against Lincoln Yards. Uh, it was an unsuccessful fight, but it's a very important fight that was waged and will have implications for the future. Do you got another update uh, for shout me? Shout out to Frank. He said two terms. Toot. Thank Frank. Damn, he's good. Damn, he's good. <laughs> real good. He is really good. This guy, Frank, he's a follower of our very astute follower of politics. Thank you, Frank. It's back to two terms with Bill de Blasio. All right, but since we're talking about national politics, it's an obsession of mine. We're talking more and more about it. Uh, Lori, the upcoming campaign, you get into the right away. You uh, moved to the, the what they, we call the viability question. Yes. Uh, can the candidate beat Donald Trump? Trump. So you think that Bernie has a better chance of beating Donald Trump than Elizabeth Warren? Well, actually, what I really think is we just need a vision to beat Donald Trump. And I'm looking for that vision yet. And it can't just be the anti-Trump vision. It has to be what is the Democratic Party going to do to align the stars and its resources to actually say this is something we believe in. And it's been a problem all along that the Democratic Party does not have a strong vision of how it represents everyday men and women across America. And we saw that, and that's why Donald Trump won. And we can't afford to just have these blue states. Well, we're blue. We know we're blue. But there's this thing called the Electoral College. And unless we get rid of it, that Electoral College will reelect Donald Trump. And we need someone who can speak to the hearts and minds of people in Nebraska and in South Dakota and North Dakota and Wyoming and all of those states which still have Electoral College votes. And they can make a difference even against the behemoth number of votes that California, New York, Illinois, and other blue states have. 
All right, so let me just break it down here. All right, so let's just put aside uh, the the popular vote that uh, Hillary won. Yes, Three million. Elect, yeah, the Electoral College is the one that uh, decides who gets to be president under our rules. Uh, and so let's put aside Wyoming and North Dakota. We don't need Wyoming and North Dakota to defeat Donald John Trump. We need to get Michigan, Wisconsin, or Pennsylvania to flip. Those are states that were... Uh, right, that, but you have to speak to them then. Then you have to actually speak and, you know... Admittedly, I wasn't a huge Clinton supporter. I feel like he was the ultimate centrist that moved the Democratic Party to the right in an enormous way. But he was a brilliant strategist, and what he said is, it's the economy, stupid. And it's people's pocketbook. <laughs> yeah. And for us to forget that it's the economics and also the vision, like Donald Trump claims to be like a billionaire, but he'd like us to think so, or he's a multi-multi-millionaire or whatever he is. Oh, I know, because we don't have his tax returns yet, which is like so obscene and ridiculous. But he speaks to the common person, the everyday, I don't want to use the word common, but the everyday human being. And he says, in the Clintonian way he does it, I feel your pain. Now, how Donald Trump, who was born with a silver spoon, (laughs) understands the pain of poor and working class people, I don't know. But he makes them feel like it. And as Angela uh, said, What's her name? You know, the very, very famous poet whose name is eluding me because I'm nervous said, it's not what you say to people. It's how you make them feel. And for whatever reason, we don't like it. But Donald Trump makes these people feel like he cares about them. And somehow the Democratic Party is not. Now, we got to look at ourselves and go, what are we doing wrong here? And we've saw it in the last election. It's not enough to be against this guy and say, look, this is a better America. Because the people, his base has not moved. He's got this 30, 33% base, and they're solid with him. What I don't see is who's going to be solid against him and really vote. We need more than just the natural base of the Democratic Party. And we've got to get those people in Pennsylvania or in Michigan or Ohio back and excited. We have to have someone who speaks their language. Do you think Joe Biden does? Well, actually, I kind of do. Okay, and it's I think okay. We it's have right. to like look at <laughs> the okay. fact that Joe, because you know it's he's okay. not my guy. Yeah. Like I don't go yay yay Joe Biden because I have similar feelings again as the alder woman about our previous president. Mm-hmm. So it's not enough that he was partners with uh, Barack Obama. So I. But again, we're not talking about me because whoever the Democratic candidate's going to be, actually, you know, I'm going to vote for them. Yeah, yeah. What I'm worried about is, so is Joe Biden versus Elizabeth Warren versus Kamala Harris versus Mayor Pete, whose last name I'll never be able to pronounce. Buttigieg. (laughs) Buttigieg. So who are they going to vote for? And that's who I care about. All right. Well, there's a very good column. We, I'm not going to uh, spend a lot of time talking about it, probably in another show, uh, by Paul Krugman in today's uh, New York Times. I urge everybody to go read it. Uh, and it talks about uh, Joe Biden as president and the myth that we have a, could have a bipartisan country that you can work with Republicans. And uh, that's sort of what the myth that uh, uh, Joe Biden preaches, or that's what one of his main themes is. You know, it's time to get along. And <laughs> the Republican Party hasn't really been working with anybody for the last right. 
30 years. You know, they want it their way and only their way. So the notion we can find a bipartisanship uh, is is a myth. And uh, so it's something that I think Joe Biden has to address. All right, let's move on uh, to talk about uh, what just went down with Lincoln Yards. And that, of course, I talked a lot about this in the show. I wrote about it in the reader a lot. It, and it was um, an investment of over a billion dollars that the city council approved uh, for an upscale development on the north side of Chicago. At the same time, they also came with another billion dollars for an upscale development, uh, 78, on the near south side of Chicago. Lori Glenn, people may not know this because she was sort of behind the scenes, uh, was, she's going to get mad at me for saying this, one of the chief strategists uh, of opposition to Lincoln Yards. Let's not waste time talking about how you were not really the chief strategist <laughs> and that there are all these other people that deserve credit. And don't send me any more emails about that in the middle of the night. Um, but uh, <laughs> so what I want to ask you when you look back now uh, and you lost, I lost, the people of the city of Chicago lost, I like to say, um, what could have been done differently or what themes, you know, what lessons you learned? Let's just start with that. What, you know, uh, what lessons do you, did you learn from that fight? Well, I see it really differently, Ben. I don't think we lost. So I never thought we would be able to stop the TIF. Uh, I thought that was a done deal. Mm -hmm. So three and a half years ago, Rahm Emanuel cut some kind of deal, obviously, with Lincoln Yards, with Sterling Bay. The developer. The developer. Mm -hmm. And they decide to bring in a commissioner who's going to be a TIF expert and basically the attorney for Sterling Bay, which is what our supposed commissioner, David Reifman, has acted over the last three and a half years as if he represented the developer. Uh, even in commission meetings, when the commissioners ask questions to the developer, the commissioner would say, I'll answer that for you. <laughs> He's like, seriously, David, why are you asking, answering the questions for Sterling Bay? They're big boys, mostly boys, white, by the way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> A couple of girls, women, and very few people of color, by the way, mm -hmm. which I think the city should pay very special attention to. So, But we never thought that we were going to stop the TIF. We thought we could move the needle on the dial, as they say, to bring the light of day. So, in fact, it was the first week of November when the Chicago Independent Venue League, Civil, who is a wonderful group of really tremendous independent venues like The Hideout, Katie and Tim Totten. Yay, we love them. They are like golden-hearted people, seriously. Mm -hmm. And um, the Promontory, Bruce Finkelman, and Shubas, and Smart Bar, and Metro, and Subterranean, and the Beat Kitchen, and I'm missing someone, Billy's uh, group. So there are like really five key club owners in multiple clubs they have. And I was supposed to sit down with them and do a visioning session <laughs> where I have people <laughs> close their yeah. eyes and like, oh, what is your vision for your city of Chicago and for your venues and for civil and the creative economy of Chicago? But I was like, I'm so sorry, lady and gentlemen, <laughs> but your lunch is about to be massively eaten by a $1.3 billion tip. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so what do you want Think Inc. to be doing here? Yeah. I said, we can, you know, be play nice or we can actually 
wake the city up to the fact that this thing is being done under the cover of night. Now, time out real fast. Uh, the reason why these entertainment venues, these smaller entertainment venues, uh, had g- gotten together to uh, battle this TIF and uh, were bringing you on to be to help them in this is because at the moment, well, why? Why were they? Yeah, let, you answer <laughs> well, the question. They actually, so Lincoln Yards felt mm-hmm. like this area in Chicago wasn't crowded enough. <laughs> they didn't feel like in this area, which is 50 some acres, is actually sits between Lincoln Park and Wicker Park and Bucktown and DePaul. Mm-hmm. It's actually probably the most valuable land left in the city of Chicago. It was the Finkel Steel site, and they tore that down as quickly as possible. And uh, it, they built a development and a plan, and again, this is part of the issue we took with the development and plan, is that they did not authentically come into the community and say, we really want to hear from you what's important to you, because we're going to rock your world. We're going to move your cheese. No matter what happens, this community will not be the same. And we genuinely want to hear from you. They did these very calculated community meetings where they did not actually even allow people at times to ask questions or they had them divided up into small working groups and then they'd collect their responses in the end. But there wasn't real authentic dialogue and conversation because these guys were coming in to make some money. Mm. Now, I know these are developers who I am sure are good human beings that they think they're good human beings as well. And they've done a lot of good work in Fulton Market and other areas and people seem to have a lot of respect for them. But in this particular case, whoever was advising them, they thought that they could sort of pull a fast one. Like we, I've done community relations for developers, both for-profit and non-for-profit that do affordable housing. And there is a genuine way of in, engaging communities. And then there's a fake way. I feel like this was like sort of fake news. So there was a lot of animosity on the part of a lot of groups. Uh, and that was because they developed a plan, now going to the answer of your question, which is they built they were going to include a stadium, mm-hmm. an enormous stadium in an area that already the traffic is so bad that people are already thinking of moving out of the area because you cannot literally get from one place to the next mm-hmm. on the weekend. And they had an entertainment district planned, and they had a partnership with this mega corporation called Live Nation. And Ari uh, uh Emmanuel mm, happens Rob's to sit brother. Rob's brother on the board of. And so they had decided they were going to have this really groovy, neat <laughs> entertainment center yeah. that was going to directly compete with all of the independent venues in the city of Chicago on the north side and actually, you know, further. And there's only a limited market in this area. And so they also did something that was kind of dastardly as they told the media in the spring that a deal was done, mm-hmm. like that this was a yeah. done deal. They had a signed deal with Live Nation, yep. and they were going to then have this stadium, and the Rickets were involved. But you understand the Rickets and the games that were going to be played there with the soccer team, I think it was the soccer team, was like 17 nights a year. Yeah. So you've got a <laughs> soccer team, 17 nights a year. What are you going to do yeah. with the other nights? And right. I would think that might be music. And oh, by the way, when 
when they were counting green space, they used the soccer, soccer field, field as part of the green space. So in other words, folks, to boil it all down, uh, is that they the city of Chicago is proposing to use your property tax dollars to subsidize to effectively underwrite uh, an entertainment facility that would be in direct competition with already existing um, facilities throughout the city of Chicago. How, ladies and gentlemen, is that fair to take your property tax dollars and use them to underwrite one business at the expense of another business? I urge all my libertarian and free market uh, listeners out there to please weigh in and tell me that. We'll finish up the rest of the story after we take this break. Hey, everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind, but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U-E-L-P-I-A-N-I-S-T dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, man, take us to the weekend. All right, we got the weekend just ahead. The music needs we're almost done. We're not done yet. Lori Glenn is still here. We have to finish up our tale of lessons learned from Lincoln Yard. Lessons learned that Lori Lightfoot might apply to be a a better mayor uh, than the one who is walking out the door like Gloria Gaynor uh, as we speak. Uh, so before we get back to uh, Lori Glenn, what you got for me? Do you got an update? Just two updates here. Everybody remember to check out Ben's article, his latest Chicago Reader article. It is titled Mayor Rom versus Robert Caro. Yes. 18 days till Rom's out of here. So Ben, get those Rom articles in while you can. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I don't think there's a statute of limitation on Rom Okay. All right. Well, we'll keep them up. There. Mayor Rom versus Robert Caro. Make sure you check that out after today's program. All right. We're almost done here. And uh, what we have some bonus episodes. What we do here on the weekends here on the Ben Jarofsky show is that we uh, do some bonus weekend interviews. We ask people to come in after our shows and then we do the bonus interviews. So on Saturday, be expecting our interview with the one, the only Kenny D host of the Chicago newsroom, but not for much longer. Chicago newsroom will be gone soon. Kenny Davis. He kind of reflects on uh, the past Chicago newsrooms past his favorite guest his not so favorite guest his first guest ben jarofsky <laughs> that's it's true it's karen a, lewis it's a great listen go check it out as soon as it becomes available on saturday then uh, we're going to do a sunday a sunday bonus interview uh ben was able to speak with and this is a little random i know but uh 
a guy running for governor of Steven West Virginia. Smith, yeah, running for governor of West Virginia. Interesting stuff. Can West Virginia, uh, which is a, a considered a quote unquote Trump state, can it go Democrat? Uh, Stephen Smith running and. Uh, yeah, uh, Lori was talking about winning over Trump voters and winning over states that uh, have t- traditionally gone Republican, gone for Trump. Uh, there's no reason in the world that West Virginia, uh, a very poor state that really could use uh, some assistance from the government uh, to help thing. Uh, the opioid problem uh, is just uh, rampant there. Uh, and uh, so Stephen Smith running as a Democrat for governor. He was in town and he stopped by. And so interesting stuff. So Saturday, Ken Davis, Chicago Newsroom. Sunday, Stephen Smith, the guy running for governor of West Virginia. And then on uh, Monday, well, we'll do that on Sunday. And then on Monday, we'll release our next interview with the one, the only, around here we call her Governor Gates, <laughs> Stacey <laughs> Davis, Davis Gates, Gates of the Chicago Teachers Union. She's going to be our uh, our Monday bonus interview while we're away for uh, the show. Very good. Thank you much. Yes. Check it out, guys. The, the, that interview with Stephen Smith. Oh, the Kenny Davis interview was great, too. But Stephen Smith, interesting guy running for governor in West Virginia. All right, Lori Glenn, you're not running for governor of any state uh but we were talking about uh, the lessons learned from lincoln yards so that you staked out before you went to break uh, why your group came together why they brought you aboard why that was so important uh, uh for entertainment venues to um uh, fight off this development and it got much larger as time went on it went beyond much. the entertainment issue because it got into the issue of why is the city dedicating so much money 1.3 billion dollars in property taxes uh, to one little corner of town uh, that is already developing at a rapid pace, gentrifying, when there's so much need in the city of Chicago, so many obligations we have that, contrary to that, that we need our property taxes for. So it became a greater issue. Well, it's about equity, Ben, and it always was, in fact. And actually, Sterling Bay, being as smart and strategic as they are, they try to in some ways buy off my client, Civil, by saying, oh, we won't have a an entertainment venue or a stadium. Many of us actually thought the stadium was a red herring anyway, that they put it in the plan, but it was the kind of thing they knew that they could take out and say, oh, look, we got rid of the stadium. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, with Civil having raised the profile of the issue and there being business people, which they are business people, they're really smart, strategic business people, and I'm really grateful to have worked with them. They thought that if we got rid of the um, quote-unquote entertainment district, they'll be okie-dokie. But that didn't happen because in the plan that they kept, they just called it something else. They rebranded, as Mr. Trump would say, and then they distributed even a larger number of entertainment venues in the area. Mm. And so, of course, my client was like, just keep going. And keep going meant that there were just so many allies. And I do need to give a shout out, sorry, (laughs) because Juanita Irizarry, Friends of the Park, well, we've been friends for a long time and a client off and on over the years. And it was so happened, I was like, I gotta call Juanita. And then there was this guy, John McDermott, who is an organizer, long time. Mc- John um, McDermott Jr. Jr. Because yes. his father, actually, who I had met 30 years ago, oh mm-hmm. my God, uh, was instrumental in creating what we call the Chicago Reporter, an awesome and important, uh, mighty uh, publication. Uh, Fernando Diaz is the publisher and editor uh, that works on race and class issues in Chicago, investigative reporting. So John McDermott had been an organizer on housing with the Logan Square Neighborhood Association, and he had taken um, a year off. And he was just coming back in. 
And at the community meetings that um, <clears throat> Alderman Hopkins was holding, um, John and I bumped into one another. And actually, it was at one of the public hearings that we launched civil, and it became clear that John took more than an interest. And actually, one of the churches, in fact, hired John as an organizer, and that was what was needed. Because I had made some initial calls to what I would call power organizations like Logan Square Neighborhood Association, One North Side, uh, the Grassroots Collaborative, who had already been out there on the TIF issue and Lincoln Yards. They had held a press conference on it, but had gone to these groups and said, there is something going on here, and really, you guys need to pay attention to this. But John really had credibility with these groups. He knew them and began organizing them. And together, with John as an organizer and our skills with Think Inc. as public affairs consultants and doing media relations, together we were able to combine our skill set um, with also Wendy Catton and Raise Your Hand Action. Wendy Catton is a brilliant woman. And it was actually Wendy Catton's uh, social media people who created the hashtag uh, Delay the TIF. Mm -hmm. Then we did hashtag Delay the Vote. And we were, in fact, able to start galvanizing people because the Chicago, oh, and I want to give a shout out to the Chicago Tribune. <laughs> Hard to believe, uh, I know, really hard but to believe. seriously, <laughs> they, out of the blue, uh, there are some people in there uh, that will go nameless, and uh, my yeah. shout out, and my, probably get my fired hat if you to you, <laughs> my allies in uh, crime there, but I want to say they came out strongly, and Blair came in, and oh, Blair David came in, I gave Grising, thank you, David Grising. Wait, and, I'll give Blair came in some love, but the rest of the Tribune rolled over. Well, they rolled in the over end, like, but in the beginning, <laughs> every day we were having editorials because the the real issue oh, yeah. was, right. and let us just be clear, what was the message? What's the hurry? Yeah. Why are you in such a hurry? Because if this is a good deal and this is a good idea, it's a good deal and a good idea today and tomorrow and in three months yeah. when Lori Lightfoot becomes right. mayor. Uh -huh. But that wasn't the case. And that's why we keep wondering, is there something wrong? Is there some reason why? Like, wait a minute, we have to have sex tonight? We can't wait for three, <laughs> four, five, six months? Interesting analogy. We uh, have to get married today. Why do we have to get married today? Do you think getting yeah. married wouldn't be good in a year from now? You're going to get tired of me? But I can so, see the point. <laughs> <laughs> so I still say, yeah. I just got to wonder, come on, Brian Hopkins. Come that's on, Keating Crown. Come on, Andy Glore. Why were you guys such a hurry? Is it because you have a loan out there in the world that needs to be paid off? Is there something going on that the citizens of Chicago need to know? Because they got to make a loan payment for you with their TIF dollars. And by the way, $400 million of that, that's going to be paying off, oh, I know, attorneys. Oh, and the public relations the public people <laughs> like me. And I am telling you, I did not get paid what they're getting paid. And so hundreds of thousands of dollars are going to go to people to try and, oh, and by the way, I want to be very clear. Uh -huh. I have never had a green room or been able to pay parking for the community people who came out, hundreds of community people, regular, average, working people who had to get babysitters. I had no money to pay their babysitters. I had no money to pay their parking at the Bismarck Hotel, and I had no money for croissants. These people came out because they said, 
We want to know why you want $1.3 billion of our money, but we don't have money to pay for our schools. We don't have money to pay for more programs on the west side and the south side of Chicago that are for anti-violence. Let's give up some more money, I would say. I'd rather see that money go and invest in outreach workers, after-school programs, programs that are going to stop the kind of violence that's happening. This tale of two cities needs to stop. And I, for one, I'm looking forward to Lori Lightfoot's uh, coming All right. You did a great job of articulating uh, exactly why there should have been a vote to, at the very least, delay uh, the the, the proposal. Um, Okay. But when the vote came down, the vote was, I believe, I'm doing this up by 33 to 14. The alderman voted 33 to 14. (laughs) <laughs> to approve the program, okay, despite all the, the uh, eloquent uh, reasons you just cited uh, for not doing it. Um, what was at play in that vote? Why did the city council, in your humble opinion, vote pretty overwhelmingly 33 to 14 to approve a deal that is not in the best interest of most of the people in the city of Chicago? Money in politics, period. These guys, they were bought off one way or another, whether it be Sterling Bay claiming they're going to go build a development in their district or Rahm Emanuel, who gave over, what, two, three hundred thousand dollars in campaign contributions to the aldermen across the city and power. I, I, the aldermen, for some reason, couldn't seem to get it out of their head that Rahm wasn't going to be mayor anymore. And he, they used power and intimidation and influence to the bitter end. I know people that the city brought in a room, various community development groups and um, advocates, and basically made it very clear that if they didn't give their you know, say it's okay, Mm -hmm. this development, that they might not get their city contracts renewed. It was not overtly stated, but it was implied. And there was a lot of intimidation. So I believe that uh, Rahm and his cronies used their power uh, of office till Mm -hmm. the very bitter end. And there are so many deals being cut behind the scenes, you know, I personally can't wait to see aldermanic uh, privilege or aldermanic prerogative be gone. Now, I think it's going to be a long time in going, but I think that it's a really dark deed. All right. Before we go down that road, because you and I will disagree on that one, but let's just put that aside. Uh, I was disappointed with Lori Lightfoot for not more forcefully uh, opposing the deal and uh, going to the city council directly. Uh, and people have said, oh, Ben, you're too hard on her. Uh, she didn't have the votes, so don't take a fight on if you're going to lose the fight. Uh, what's your view on all that? Um, I think that all of us, after eight years of ROM, are pretty exhausted and feel like uh, that this city has you know, been intimidated, uh, bullied, uh, picked on, and people don't trust um, their mayor at this point. And I think people are afraid. You know, they've been living in fear for a long time. You know, I, I'm i excited about Lori Lightfoot. I think that we need to give her an opportunity to show who she is. 
Lori Lightfoot did not cut this deal. Rahm Emanuel did. Lori Lightfoot came and joined us uh, in our first press conference uh, with uh, Scott Wagesback in um, January. It was, uh, I believe it was in January at City Hall. Mm -hmm. I mean, we'd already had several press conferences. It all is a blur, sorry. But Lori Lightfoot came out and all along she stood up uh, truth to power. I mean, let's just say she got into the race before Rom said he was getting yes, out of the race. So did. I think she is a gutsy person. And I think that we need to allow her to succeed. And I want her to succeed. And as someone who um, actually uh, tried to, um, you know, ask Lori's campaign after she did get elected as mayor-elect to get involved in this. I actually regret that because she never made this deal happen, Ben. And yes, perhaps there are more things that she could have done, but I actually think she was incredibly responsive to us and she did the best job she could. And I do believe that Sterling Bay will regret having gotten a $1.3 billion tip because I think Lightfoot's people are going to hold their toes to an, in, an insatiable fire. And I don't believe that Lori Lightfoot is the kind of mayor who will allow this kind of deal to happen again. So I say, you know, I never believed that this city council, this sitting city council would vote against this TIF. Now the next one, now that's going to be a different story altogether. Oh, I don't, I, I, first of all, it doesn't matter anymore. I don't believe this city council would have voted for the TIF had Lori Lightfoot forcefully uh, worked against it. Oh, I don't agree. I think that actually they had cut deals because there are several aldermen who are leaving and they, I assume, are getting jobs <laughs> through this vote and from the uh, various sectors. You of know what? This will be something the we'll never know. And <laughs> as I like to say, uh, Lori Glenn and I will be hanging around at the Sunnyside Senior <laughs> Citizen Center uh, and in 2050 going, I think they would you know have no way so ben. let me just put it to you yeah. differently ben you uh -huh. know what okay. it just doesn't matter so you yeah. think Lori should have done more or not what i care about is when Lori lightfoot becomes mayor on may 20th mm -hmm. that's when i want to see her step up and do the things and bring to light of day and run chicago in a different way and what i mean by that yeah. is through an equity lens Lori lightfoot as we know is an African-American woman who is uh, gay, who uh, is, is also short. I'm short, Lori. I share that with you as well <laughs> as a name. And we have the same name. And we have the same name. Yeah. And thank God I get to hear your name every day <laughs> instead I of I almost Rob's. called you Mayor Lori. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm going to say that I look forward, you know, let this woman make her own mistakes and let us hope that she's going to unify our city. You know what I want to do? Uh, ben, I want to see G2 Brown in the same room as Michael Sachs. Michael Sachs, the chairman of World Business Chicago. Let's bring him in the same room as Juwanza from Coco. Let us bring the city together. And all these advocates, they are not naysayers. They are people who care about their city. They are people who have done research. They are 
uh, in the tradition of Saul Alinsky, the father of community organizing, who started in back of the yards in Chicago. And these are very smart, committed people. And let's have these business leaders from the Chicagoland Chamber of Commerce, who I like their head, their new head is really good. Uh-huh. Andy Zopp is at World Business Chicago. And I believe that you got to bring these people together in conversation on a regular basis. I don't want to see these, oh, they did this, I did that. <laughs> Nobody takes responsibility for the okay. fact that people are yeah. dying in this city I right now, every single day. All right. So I guess that means, Ben, stop talking about. No. Lori Glenn for president. No, Lori Glenn is on fire. Man, I've known this lady for a long time. She's been Apparently yelling there. at me since 1980 something <laughs> or other. Usually when I do something wrong, I get those texts in the middle of the night. Quick. All right. But Lori, I'm going to say this. I'm going to move on. Yeah. That's the sound of me moving on. Going to give Lori life for a little break. Thank Not going to, okay? You know, the, the there's all these, uh, the members, of, the entire member of the Klonsky family throughout the city of Chicago. <laughs> Stop being so mean to Lori. Okay, I so you're going to give Lori a break and our next show's Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't think I'll, I will say this. All right. I, I will say this, that I um, believe that she could have blocked it, but doesn't matter. That's an old argument. We will have it for the next 50 years if we're around that long. But I do think, and we'll be talking about this at great length on the show, and I'll be writing columns about this, the development deal in the South Loop 1 Central already has shown that this city has moved in a different direction because they have made it clear they're not financing that with property tax dollars, TIF money. I'm not even calling it TIF money anymore, folks, because it's property tax dollars, your property taxes, so they're going to use state money. They're sort of going to broaden the base of people who have to kick in for the deal. You get what I'm saying, Lori Glenn? So it's not just the poor schmoes in the city of Chicago who are so dumb they don't know what they're doing, but it's everybody throughout the state, from Cairo to Waukegan. (laughs) Look, I did the whole state thing. And so... Uh, I think, wow, they learned a lesson. So they did learn a lesson. Yes. You know what? We can't go to this pot anymore. No, that's and, done. Yeah, that's the ROM way. That's the daily way. That's so right. I'm looking on the bright side, Lori Glenn, all right? And you've got six new Democratic Socialists coming in who are going to change the way discussion happens and the questions that happen in the dialogue, whether people like them or not. I happen to like them. But it will be a different city council. And I believe Lori Lightfoot is going to be a different mayor. All right. We're going to close on that little burst of optimism, a little ray of sunshine from Lori Glenn, (laughs) an old friend of mine. And I'm so glad she came into the studio. We're going to bring her back again because she is fired up, Lori Glenn. (laughs) All right. That's Lori Glenn. Thank you so much, Lori. Also want to thank uh, Alderwoman Rosanna Rodriguez Sanchez. She was fired up as well. Did a great job. Newly elected alderman of the 33rd Ward. 13 votes, Lori. Alderwoman. I said Alderwoman. They said Alderman. Yeah, come on, man. I know. Alder- Sue Garza taught me that. It's Alderwoman. Uh, and uh, Ramada Hussein, the Ramada Rundown, uh, back at 1.30, seemed like a long time ago. Miles did a great job. Shout out to Miles, the hitting star of Roosevelt. <laughs> he's batting 5.22. I do not know if he's batting 5.22, but it sounds good. It sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah, it sounds really good. And of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. They call him White Lightning, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> the ladies all love him for his body and his mind. That would be Dr. D spinning things behind the board. Keep yourself a raise, D. Take it out of petty cash. Have a great weekend, everybody. 
And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com. Just look at the top of the page. The Ben Jarofsky Show is right there. Oh, and hey... Check out the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page and Twitter page, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J, show, and be sure to read the latest article from Ben Jarofsky. See you Tuesday.